0: Good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartin after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports with you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night if you're still out and about a city that never sleeps or maybe you're just working on a weekend like usual. Well, me and Connor are, too. We're coming to you live from the uh, Carton & Roberts studio here in Lower Manhattan. You guys know the phone number, 877-337-6666. And please... Let's load them up with your best content only. I've got some really great guests lined up for you guys tonight at 3.40 a.m. I've got Alex Schiffer from the Athletic NYC and the Athletic NBA. He's returning to the show to help us tie a nice, neat bow on the Nets season and to help us glance into the team's offseason. So if you're a Nets fan, 3.40 a.m. is that. And at 4.40... I'm going to be premiering my brand-new Olympic segment. I'm calling it Homegrown. I'm introducing it with Zach Brown's Homegrown song, right, Um, where hopefully every week leading up to the big games, I'm going to bring you a conversation with a current Olympian that is from our area, hence the Homegrown title. This week, who better to kick the whole thing off than that baseball player from Tom's River, Todd Frazier, will be with us at 4.40 a.m. to discuss the Olympics, the sticky stuff, and the Mets and Yankees. And I mean, technically, I guess it was still an Islanders playoff weekend, right? Again, might I remind everyone that there is no better phrase in sports than Game 7. In facing elimination, there's an inexplicable hunger, an exceeding desperation threshold, ramped up intensity, all of it when faced with a do-or-die situation is turned up to the max. Certainly for the underdog, the blue-collar New York Islanders and their fans forcing the Tampa Bay Lightning, the defending Stanley Cup champions, into that Game 7. Certainly they turned it up. And that was the legendary Armin Van Buren, by the way. But to get there in Game 6, the Islanders with their season in the balance, forced the defending Stanley Cup champions to overtime in which we know now as the last game at Nassau Coliseum. The overtime period began with a puck drop and a serenade of let's go Islanders. And it ended 68 seconds later with a pylon of Anthony Bolivier against the glass who shot the game winner and the fans in the arena went into an absolute frenzy. And yet another reminder about how fans forgot to behave at games because of the pandemic, many of those at the Coliseum were throwing their beer cans onto the ice, which is so dangerous for the players. Nevertheless, the Gritty Islanders were, were one win away from returning to a Stanley Cup Finals, a place that they hadn't seen since 1984, since the year Prince and the Revolution topped the Billboard charts with this is when doves cry, Right? I don't know if that's how it goes, but it's not the Doves, and I wasn't alive then, so I get a pass. It is not the Doves doing the crying here in 2021. If you saw some of the Islanders post-Game 7 pressers, some of the players were near tears. Head coach Barry Trotz said, post-Game 7 loss, there's a lot of pain for this group. This group has so much character, it's undeniable for me. They're feeling the pain right now. What a stark contrast to the ending of game six, where not one single fan left the party at the barn until well after the telecast ended. The feeling of sadness sadness and frustration could be summarized, I think, in this sentiment. The Islanders were the only team in the entire NHL in the 56-game 2020-2021 season, regular season that is, to not allow a single shorthanded goal. What was the only goal scored in Game 7? A shorthanded goal by Tampa Bay Lightning forward Yanni Gord. And even more frustrating was that Gord was able to slip behind so many Islanders and put himself into a position to score after just coming in from off the bench. The differences in any Game 7, across any sport, are razor thin. Do I need to remind Nets fans about the length of Kevin Durant's big toe? Time ticked down in regulation. That was the reason that the number 2 seeded Nets We're watching the Eastern Conference Finals from their couches, from their houses, like the rest of us, all because of Kevin Durant's big toe. This brief, seconds-long mental lapse by the New York Islanders was the difference. Simeon Varlamov was excellent. He saved 29 out of 30 shots, and the Islanders did have chances to score. I think, besides the barrage of shots within the closing seconds— The Islanders' best chance at netting one came off of the Beauvilliers redirection shortly after the Lightning had scored that one and only goal of the game. I highlighted it in yellow in my notes as it happened. The puck clanged off the post. He tried to get the angle, and it just didn't go in. And taking a 1-1 tie into the third period would have dictated an entirely different game plan for the Islanders. You could probably make an argument for the Barzell goal, too, that he just whiffed on. Uh, You know, near goal that he almost whiffed on. Instead, the Islanders fell to the Lightning 1-0, and Tampa Bay's Andre Vasilevsky became the first goalie to record three shutouts and series-clinching games in a single postseason. It's pretty good. Tampa Bay will be advancing to the Stanley Cup Finals, and the New York Islanders will be watching at home on TV like the rest of us. And while it may be hard to see at the moment, what a send-off for the barn. Nassau Coliseum, in a monumentally successful final season, The Coliseum hosted two series-clinching playoff wins, the Bruins and the Penguins, and an overtime Game 6 win against the Lightning. The doors to the old barn will be closing in style, which means only one thing. It's time to christen the new UBS arena with a unique housewarming gift, a Stanley Cup.
1: I'm back, back in the New York
0: Well, the Mets are certainly back in a New York groove. They rallied three times on Saturday evening at City Field to take the second game of the three game set against the Phillies in a walk-off fashion. They're eight games over five hundred, and right now they are four and a half games ahead of the Nationals for first place in the NL East. Prior to the start of the Mets game, I tweeted, Mets big. Zach Eflin, who is two and six with a four point three nine ERA, was coming off of his worst start of the season, and that was against San Francisco where he had seven runs, six of them earned, over five innings, nine hits, and four home runs. As it turns out, I was half right. The Mets won, but it wasn't big. But then again, big is a matter of perspective. Big as in tons of runs, or big as in a huge walk-off win. Because if it's the latter, I guess I wasn't wrong. In the bottom of the ninth Saturday night with the bases loaded, things you always dreamt of as a kid, Michael Conforto came up as the king of Queens, scoring Billy McKinney, who had pinch hit earlier in the inning from third base. And it was done on a sacrifice high line drive to straightaway center field. Kevin Pillar, post game, said we never feel like we're out of games. We're always one hit or one at bat from getting hot. How the home half of the ninth inning went down was a nightmare for Joe Girardi, manager, obviously, of the Phillies. The leadoff pinch hitter, Travis Blankenhorn, reached on a booted ball by first baseman Reese Hoskins. The very next pinch hitter, McKinney, reached on a seven-pitch walk. And in my notes, I wrote down, these types of base runners always end up scoring. And for the Mets, they represented the tying and winning runs. Final score, 4-3 Mets. And DeGrom, who is chasing history today, needed to pitch just three innings to move past R.A. Dickey on the Mets' all-time consecutive scoreless inning streak. Unfortunately, it ended for him at 31, and at the same time, matched his career best. I think Jacob deGrom would rather take the win. After the game, he said of the Mets' comeback victory, they're locked in every pitch, every at-bat, every out, and they find a way. It's been fun to be a part of. The two, 29,205 fans in attendance would definitely agree. Conforto, on the field after his game-winning hit, thanked the fans and told them they make a difference in games like this. And told them to keep showing up. Yeah, death by a thousand cuts. Death by a 1,000 infield hits, I would title Saturday night's game at Fenway Park for the Yankees. There was a point in the bottom of the third inning that the Red Sox had scored three runs on six hits. Four of them never left the infield. Taylor Swift, by the way. The first Red Sox run, well, Bogarts hits a ball up all of 12 feet. Devers walked on a 3-2 count. And then Jordan Montgomery got nailed in the ankle on a comebacker. Bases loaded, no outs. Kike Hernandez hit a sack fly with the bases loaded. Again, still no outs. The second Red Sox run. Well, that was scored on a lackadaisical effort by Luke Voigt on a catch made in foul territory. Here's what happened. He made, he, he made like a basket catch, turnaround basket catch, took his time doing it. Devers vacated third base and left for home when Voigt took like two steps. I counted two steps after catching the ball. Voigt ended up taking six total steps before he set his feet to throw. He was shocked, caught off guard. He never had a chance. Devers was safe by a mile. And then the third Red Sox run. Hunter Renfro hit against the shift with a single to where D.J. LeMay, who should have been playing at second base. And you know what? Good for him. Bogart scored from third. Death by a thousand infield hits. You thought the Yankees had shown some life in the top of the eighth. Sour Moore entered the game with two outs and promptly walked Judge on a 10-pitch at-bat, Sanchez, and Stanton in that order. That was his three-batter minimum. Ottavito entered and faced Luke Voigt, who looked like he was trying to send that baseball to the moon, Alice. Trudy Yankee form, he grounded out the shortstop, inning over, threat over, pretty much game over. And that is how the latest installment and the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry went. What rivalry, though? Doesn't that only count if both teams are competitive? The Boston Red Sox have beaten the New York Yankees all five times this season so far. That is, the Yankees are 0-5 against the Red Sox in this 2021 season. Entering play Saturday night, there were two teams above the Yankees in the ALE standings, the Red Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays the Yankees, as I just mentioned, are winless against the Red Sox this season. The Yankees are 5-8 and eight versus the Rays this season. I added it up myself. For a team with their sights set on winning the World Series, which for the Yankees, it's a lofty, unfathomable goal at this juncture of the season. Maybe the Yankees should set their sights much lower, attempting to win their division. You can't win a World Series if you can't output a winning record against two of the teams in your division. How's that binary code for you? The Yankees, the Bronx Bombers, are ranked 23rd in baseball in runs scored. In the AL, they've only outscored, ready for this, the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers. Yankees, Orioles, Tigers. Which one doesn't belong? Well, I guess that's a trick question because the numbers are what they are. They all belong. The Mets, by the way, have scored the least amount of runs in the entire league. Yet somehow they're surviving behind their pitching, their defense, and their base running. Three areas in which the Yankees, at this moment in time, are deficient. It's extremely frustrating. And at this point, what can they do to fix it? They've got an owner that is unwilling to exceed the luxury tax threshold. A general manager who hasn't won a World Series since 2009 with a team assembled ultimately, by the way, that was Gene Stick Michaels' team, and on thin ice, and a manager who still thinks that it's all going to work itself out. World Series, huh? Well, from Taylor Swift to Kanye West, we go. Major League Baseball has a major league problem. And yet again, yet again, Rob Manfred and his perceived ingenuity is at the center of it. Is anyone surprised? I chose this song by Kanye West, and it's called Say You Will. When I hear it, this is what I think of. The beeping is like a heart monitor. The cymbal crash is like a ventilator. And the underlay of the organ makes me think of angels singing. And the tom-tom drum beat is like a heartbeat. All of it collectively makes me picture a person on life support lying in a hospital bed. And that is precisely where I feel like the game of baseball under Rob Manfred's tutelage is, on live support. As we've talked about on here, when it happened, Rob Manfred totally botched the Astros cheating scandal. Why on earth would he grant immunity to all of the players involved? All he had to do was get one or two of them to squeal, and he could have been able to uncover the same amount of information that he had been in talking with just all of them. Zero games of suspension for a team that had, and still has, zero remorse. But now, Rob Manfred decided to crack down and enforce a rule mid-season that, to be fair, has always been on the books. But why now? Why June? The end of June? He was gathering evidence during the first few months of the season, as we talked about on here. The memo of the crackdown went out to teams in March, but I think I I think I thought I read that it went out to the teams last season, I think. But whatever. The problem is this. This is a humongous farce. This whole thing. Have you been paying attention to the escalation of the sticky stuff checks all week? Baseball's latest folly unfurled with an incredulous Jacob deGrom who, immediately after it happened, I tweeted that it reminded me of a TSA checkpoint. The umps even made him undo his belt. It then escalated on the very next night to Girardi versus Scherzer on the main card. Girardi had Scherzer checked three times for sticky stuff. He didn't have any. Then the GM of the Nationals, Mike Rizzo, called Joe Girardi a con artist, telling the morning show of our sister station in in Washington, D.C., that Girardi was just trying to mess Scherzer up. He said, what are we, idiots? Of course he was. Then Dave Dombrowski, president of baseball ops for the Phillies, said, It's totally uh, improper for Rizzo to say that, in my opinion. Joe Girardi is the furthest from a con man of anybody that I know. And then it evolved the night after that with Sergio Romo, Oakland A's, literally dropping his pants in the middle of the field for a check. How embarrassing for baseball. This is such a stain on the game of baseball. Rob Fred's plan is pitting players against players and players against management, managers against each other, Front offices against each other, as I told you it would, with his memo's encouragement for teams to submit video evidence of cheating players. That's where it started. There's got to be something greater here, a bigger picture, because with that in mind, this thought popped into my head. Is this a ploy by Rob Manfred to splinter the players in the union so that they are not as strong going into negotiations for that new CBA? Are the pitchers, and in some cases, managers, and front office personnel making this into a farce on purpose to embarrass the commissioner? Possibly, but do they need to? I mean, the comedy kind of writes itself, and it's directed by Rob, Rob Manfred, who commented that the first two days have gone very well. I understand the incident in Philadelphia was less than ideal, but that was one incident. Wow. So much to do, so little time. I've set the table for you guys. It's time to eat your 2.22 a.m. snacks. Can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I am Danielle McCartan after midnight on the fan in New York City. Welcome back to McCartan after midnight here on the fan. You know, I told you guys last week that I called the Nets overtime game. I was talking to my mom on the phone. I know you guys really don't always believe me. So when I was talking to her on the phone this past Wednesday, I caught myself saying that the Islanders Lightning Game 6 would go into overtime. So this time, put some cash on it. $5 to be exact, which you guys know is like my mostly sure dollar amount. It was at plus 290 And to the morons in my comments section criticizing my $5 bet, like, who do you think you are? Like, dollar amounts mean different things to different people, so you should really just keep your comments to yourself. But anyway... I was just thinking up until the bet that the Islanders had averaged two overtime games per series during these playoffs. And at that point they hadn't played any. So lo and behold, it happened. They went into overtime and I won myself 1450 plus my $5 back. And no, I have not spent it yet. (laughs) So let's go to the calls. 877-337-6666 in the order that you guys called. That's how we do it here. Let's go to Chris in Long Island. Uh Uh-oh. I can't click them. You hear me? Chris, are you there? Okay, I hear you. Yes. All right, how's it going?
2: I just wanted to make uh, just a quick comment with what the last host was talking about, just greatest as far as football real quick. I want to talk about the Mets. Just mm-hmm. one point of why I think, you know, Brady, you give it to him because Brady's like a half coach out there. You know what I mean? He he gets everyone in uh, in, in, in the right position. And, and that's why, you know, he's successful no matter where he goes, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: you know, I know, uh, I was listening on the way into Chris's show, and he the, the debate was, and I don't know if I want to get into it here, but uh, but the debate was this. Uh, if, tell me if I got this right, Chris. If there is no other more dominant person, athlete, in professional sports at the moment, and, and he gave the case of DeGrom. I also thought Tom Brady, while I was driving on the West Side Highway, and— um, the one thing I would, the the next thought that popped into my head after, what about Tom Brady was Tom Brady was bailed out by his defense a lot in the playoffs. And right. the one game he threw three interceptions, I, th- I think off the top of my head. I mean, he wasn't dominant Tom Brady, but I know what you're saying where he, he coaches everybody up to make them play better. And that's what he expects. I get that. Right.
2: Yes. 100%. And then as far as the Mets, yeah. I, I, I would agree. I think um, that the Grom would be the most dominant right now. And, and I mean, I, probably biased guy, I'm a Mets fan. Mm-hmm. But just because I mean, through July having, you know, now could they give up two runs a point six nine ERA it is ridiculous. But what I just wanted to ask you in your opinion is, mm-hmm. you know, now what you know, these injuries and, you know, they're pretty much they have the less the least scored runs in baseball mm-hmm. and because 'cause they're pitching. Um you know, and then and before they also break they have no more days off and it's almost all division besides the Yankees. And you know, it's a little concerning, you know, they're having, you know, the, these games are very close with their divisional uh, opponents. And without the runs, I'm just, yeah, and your take on what do you think they need to do before the Star break to kind of, you know, make sure they, they stay on top and look good for the second half of the season?
0: Yeah, Chris, great question there. Um, I, here's what I would say. I would say, look, first of all, you're getting Brendan Nimmo back. He's rehabbing this weekend. The, the quote was, he will rejoin the team sometime this week. That's um he's gonna become, he's your leadoff hitter, he's your on base dude, he's your he's a quick guy, he's your run scorer. Um no timeline for return on Carrasco and Cindergaard's looking like September first. Um I I don't know if I would change much, to be honest with you. I mean, the, the Mets are finding ways to win games. Marcus Stroman will start uh later today, Sunday. I just I don't know if I would change anything. I think the team showed you how resilient they were today. They didn't score many runs. I I mean, but they were resilient. They scored runs when it mattered. They came from behind three times, these Mets. And so I I don't know if I would change anything, honestly. I would welcome back the players that will be coming back. Um, And J.D. Davis, by the way, still no timetable for him to return. So in order to just stay afloat, just keep winning games. I think the starting pitching needs to go deep into the bullpen. I mean, deep into the the um into the the game, so that the bullpen th- doesn't need to eat up that many innings. Because I think that's sometimes where the Mets find themselves in trouble. But Marcus Stroman's a workhorse. I expect nothing but big things from him. And uh, and, and to answer the question, I don't know if I would change much. I would just welcome back the players that are coming back. Let's go to Kevin in Kopek. You're up next on the fan. What's up, Danielle? what's up Kevin we're having a little problems oh, yeah. here with with the uh with the screen here but I got you Jeff
3: McNeil code kind of like uh like bunny to me I I don't like, I don't like the squirrel nickname anymore
0: what is it his two front teeth is that it
3: I just I just I love bugs bunny he's like he's he's the best cartoon of all time
0: well okay
3: so but um Josh Donaldson third base for the Mets what do you think what, what do you think about that
0: uh I don't know if I would like that
3: but the twins are. I mean, I mean he's thirty six years old. I just think I just I, I, I've been hating on J D Davis this whole season.
4: Yeah, I, I mean,
1: know.
0: He just want to be able to prove a point here. But I, Josh Donaldson is just. I don't know if the net the, the Mets need a uh, an old washed up dude on that roster. I think they're the chemistry is great with the young guys, and I I don't know if Donaldson's the answer.
3: He's got power though. He definitely has power. I know the offensive numbers are down. I just I feel like. He could hit some big home runs in some big spots.
0: Yeah, you know, but if I were the Mets, though, I would with Syndergaard the setback with him, the setback with Carrasco. I don't know if third base would be my my priority at the trade deadline. If I'm the Mets, I'm looking starting pitching, especially like a back end of the rotation guy.
3: So, what what teams are bad right now? in the uh, so I, I can't really think of any pitchers on bad teams. Yeah, well, I mean, you're, like-
0: yeah, you're looking. I mean, very preliminary. preliminarily I'm looking at. I mean, John Means from Baltimore, German, I think you pronounce it German, Marquez, Colorado, Michael Pineda, Minnesota, Kyle Gibson, Texas, John Gray, Colorado. Those are the teams I'm looking to be picking from.
3: Herman Marquez. I like that.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I didn't really do a deep dive into the numbers, as you know me, but not not yet. But these are just some of the names that I've been percolating, and I'll look into them probably for next week.
3: What about Seth Lugo, though? Seth Lugo in the rotation? You're still still a no-go on that?
0: I don't like Seth Lugo in the rotation
3: do you do you remember Steve Traxel? Uh,
0: mm, sort
3: of. He was from like the 2006. Maybe, maybe, I think he might, he might have pitched in 2006. Yeah. He was just a, he was just like a workhorse. I just I feel like I just see a parallel between him and Seth Lugo. I just feel like he's the uh, he might be the answer in the rotation.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, Seth Lugo is not a rotation dude. I I've said it from the beginning. I don't want to see Seth Lugo moved into the into the rotation. Done. That's it. Seth Lugo is a is a nice middle reliever. That's where he should stay. I it's just you know I just it's just moving these guys from you know starter to reliever to you know closer. I, the, what comes to mind is Jabba Chamberlain, and how the Yankees sort of kind of ruined him. Actually, keep him in one spot. It's not the same preparation. It's not the same mentality. It's a completely different. Although it's pitching, it's a different position, really. When you're a starting pitcher versus a reliever versus whatever your role is in, in in, in you know, the pitching, you know, whatever, depth chart. It's just um, I, I don't want to see Seth Lugo be a starting pitcher. That's it. Uh, let's go. I don't know if this, this is still not working. Let's go. John in Long Beach Island. John, you're up on the fan.
5: Hey, Danielle. How are you?
0: I'm great. How are you?
5: I'm great. I'm great. And I tried a couple of weeks ago, couldn't get in, but I said, "Let me, let me give it some effort." And here I am. Ah,
0: so. here you are. Welcome to the show.
5: <laughs> <laughs> first time, first time caller, cool, long time listener. Oh, thank you. Many radio shows over my years. Um, so uh, I'm uh, pretty excited to be talking to you tonight.
1: Um, me too. Let's do it. What do you the, want to talk about?
5: Yeah, talking about the Yankees. I just
1: yeah,
5: they're just like unwatchable to me. I, I I've been watching for a very long time and there was always some excitement. But mm-hmm. when the run comes up against them, I just feel like we're, we're lost. We're losing something. We need to uh, make some changes. And my question to you is, what kind of changes would you make <laughs> at this point in time?
0: I know. And, and, and John, that's a great question. It is the, the million-dollar question. What changes would you make to the Yankees right now? Um, first of all, I, I agree with the unwatchable part because it's just... I'm thinking, I, I, my mind just flashed to the the last at bat. Aaron Judge steps to the plate, two outs, Gardner's on second, D.J. LeMay, who's on first, falls behind 0-2, and you're like, okay, I've seen this story before, I've read this story before. Strikeout swinging. In fact, you have seen this story before. Base is loaded, they can't get a hit. It's like, it's it's ridiculous. It's It's unwatchable, right? And so what do you do to fix the problem? I don't I, I don't know if the answer is going to come midseason. Honestly, I think this is going to be a long-term thing because of, oh man, th- this th- there's so many layers to this. Firing Aaron Boone is not going to do anything. Firing Brian Cashman midseason is not going to do any- anything. Um, Marcus Thames, I'm surprised that guy still has a job. But you know what it is? It's the entire philosophy brought forth by all three of those guys and higher. It's this the, the roster that they put out on the field with their analytics is not a roster that is built to win. Especially in a, in a, in a postseason. With these strikeout or, or all or nothing guys. We've talked about it pretty much every single week on here. But it's not going to fix itself. You've got John Carlos Stanton on a long-term deal. You've got um, just these guys that are just clogging up the payroll, and you've got an owner that is just not going to budge, seemingly on a luxury tax, uh, the, the, the the next threshold up on the luxury tax. That's evidenced by the sort of bargain shopping that Brian Cashman was doing, picking Corey Kluber. I thought I thought Corey Kluber. I told you guys he was going to be a great addition. He was. Until he got hurt. So I I have two solutions here for the Yankees. First, at the trade deadline, you have to go out and get a top notch starting pitcher. Exceed the luxury tax. Simple as that. Scherzer. Barrios from Minnesota. Those would be the top two choices. Because does a if you if you get into a, a short playoff series, does a rotation of Cole, Montgomery, and Tyone, does that scare you? Doesn't scare me. And it wouldn't scare pretty much any MLB hitter. So you need you just need to exceed the luxury tax and that's it and go out and get one of these guys for the whatever you know, one season, whatever it is, a rental player. You have to do it. Then I would get a Left-handed, hit for average with a little bit of power, bat. Because we talked about it on here when it happened. Remember when, I think it was last weekend when, when the A's came to town. Lefty, Tony Kemp from the A's. Remember what he did at Yankee Stadium? Let me refresh your memories. In three games, he had two home runs, four RBIs, 250 batting average, 400 on base percentage, and a 1,000 slugging percentage. I think, what was it? He had two home runs coming into that game and he hit two home runs in in two games. So that's the prototype of the player that the Yankees need to look at. And you know who's going to do it for me? My cousin called me today as I was in the middle of typing this. I said, Dennis, I have fell in love with this player. The Yankees need to go out and get him. The player is, and he's a hot commodity, Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh. He's a lefty bat, outfielder, a little versatility. He, it said outfield slash second base. Current batting average, 326, fifth best in baseball. He's got four home runs. And guess where all of those four home runs landed? Well, we'll put it this way. They all landed or, or would have landed in the short porch at Yankee Stadium. He's got a double and a triple based on the uh, the, the spray chart might have been out at the Yankee Stadium in right field as well. He's second in doubles, only behind Nick Castellanos, Castellanos, Cincinnati. He's in the 98th percentile of strikeout rate, and his salary is $4.3 million this season, Hal Steinbrenner, and he's got one more year of arbitration eligibility remaining. Get it done. Adam Fraser tops my list. And so does Max Scherzer and Jose Barrios. If if the Yankees are all in, that's what they need to do this season at the trade deadline or before it. Because I think Adam Frazier is going to be moved soon, honestly. So, Brian Cashman, get on the phone and make a deal. Because that is the the prototype prototypical player that needs to be playing at Yankee Stadium. And you guys... It's official. Pete Alonso is heading back to the T-Mobile Home Run Derby next month. Since his rookie season, nobody has hit more home runs than him. 80. He's got three home runs in six games in that stadium, Coors Field. He's tied for fourth, or that is tied for fourth most of any stadium for him, not counting City Field. So why wouldn't he? It's a no-brainer, right? Well, I'll tell you why he shouldn't do it coming up. Welcome back to McCartan after midnight. Here on the fan, you know, it's a really, it's a really cool personal accolade, especially for a young, excitable, exciting guy to watch like Pete Alonso. And um, we're talking about Pete Alonso competing in the Home Run Derby. And if I were his coach, I would recommend against him participating in that Home Run Derby. And here's why: my overall view is that to participate in and win a home run derby, you have to alter your swing. First of all, the pitcher lobs the baseballs at you, so naturally you're going to have to adapt your swing to fit the timing of it. There's more of a focus on bat speed, launch angle, and thus it, it creates an uppercut in your swing that does and will carry back over to the regular season. Let me prove it to you. I looked at the past couple of winners just so happens that three of the four past home run kings currently play baseball right here in New York. So let's work most recent backwards. Pete Alonso, 2019 Home Run Derby champion. Before the All-Star Game, let's just look at slugging percentages because across the board, here's a spoiler alert, across the board all of the home runs were down after the All-Star Game for all of the players. But slugging percentage, Pete Alonso's went down by over 100 points before and after last... Uh, last year's All-Star Game, Home Run Derby. I mean, 2019's, I'm sorry. Aaron Judge, 2017 Home Run Derby Champion. Before the All-Star Game, he was had a slugging percentage of 691. After it, 548. Giancarlo Stanton, 2016 Home Run Derby Champion. 495 slugging percentage. Then it went down to 478. Not a big drop-off, but still. Case in point. My recommendation for all players is this. If your team is poised to or even has aspirations of playing postseason baseball, do not participate in the Home Run Derby. You're likely the most explosive hitter on your team, and your team will need you to perform at your pre-All-Star self. Not the inevitable drop-off you're going to experience post-All-Star. Pete Alonzo, are you listening? And I know you guys are. I have moved chairs from my, my typical... Chair on the right side. I am now sitting in, uh, in in Craig's chair here on the left side because the screen isn't working on the other side. So I just moved all my stuff, and now this should work. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. And Connor, he's just so calm. You are the, the calmest person. I was a little bit panicking because nothing was working. The, the screen is frozen, and I was just talking about well, bad-mouthing a little bit. <laughs> the computer system, because uh, it's a whole long story. But anyway, so this is uh this is what I get for doing that. So uh, I- I've moved. Let's see if this works. 877 is the phone number. Paul in Floral Park, you're up on the fan. Are you there, Paul? Yes, yes! I'm here. Yes, we oh. got it.
1: We got it. Yay.
6: Yay. How are you? I'm oh, good. How are you? you good, good, good. Business as usual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so we just uh, we just got to move forward uh, to get ready for next season with the Islanders. Yeah, yeah, it was a good one.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a good ride. It almost makes me think of like what would have been if Anders Lee was part of this team. I, I listened to trots after uh-huh. after it after the loss, and it doesn't seem like there's going to be much overturn in the roster. So we'll see what happens. I think they'll be back yeah. next year.
6: Oh yeah, yeah, most of the, the players. I mean, uh, Casey is hes hes going uh, to be a free agent. Michael Dalcall and um, Illya Sorokin—he's unrestricted. So, mm-hmm. but I think they'll bring them back most probably.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, Verlamov was excellent, excellent in yes. Game Seven. So, yeah. Maybe they're just yeah. going to go with him full time from now, and they don't need like a like a a one A 1A and a one B goalie. You know. So we'll see. We'll right. see what happens. But. Um, right. I, I think they're. I think Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in our area. And, and for him, Absolutely. I mean, the thing is with that team, it's just, you know what they need? They just need like a, like a star, you know, like I, I look a, like a Kucherov, like I look at, I don't yeah. know, you know, I just, they just need a star. They play together great, but they need right. that one guy.
6: Yep. True. Sniper. Like a sniper. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yes. Yes.
6: Right. Yes. Right. All righty. No Yankees. Yeah, Clint Fraser. Yeah,
0: no, huh? no Yankee point tonight. You usually do both. Oh
6: well, yeah, uh, Clint Fraser to keep him on the bench. Oh, I know. It's like every time I uh, I turn around and, I, and I'm watching him, he will hit a ground ball a third or pop up uh, to the catcher. Yeah, he's, Yeah, he's better off in the minor leagues. Yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah Paul. And <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, and you know, you guys know I've been singing Clint Fraser's praises for a long time here. Um. I I said that he needs to get regular playing time. You know, this and that and, and all that. I've been really singing his praises, hoping for for him to turn it around cuz you saw what he could do. Right? You saw it. There were flashes of it. There still are flashes of it. It's just it's just not working out. Which is why Adam Fraser, Fraser in, Fraser out. That's that's the kind of deal I would do. You know, but I'm trying to find it in my notes here, but he, he, he got a little feedback. Is that this is from this microphone? Yeah, I thought it was just in the headphones. All right, I'm trying not to move the mic. This this has been a challenge here tonight, everybody. Um, But uh, here it is. Top of the second, bases loaded in Friday night's game. Torres struck out looking, out one. Andujar struck out looking, out two. Clint Frazier, full count, drew a walk. That was a seven-pitch at bat. So he does good things in good situations, and then he doesn't. So I, I would be okay with the Yankees uh, shipping him out at this point, and I know I've been singing his praises all throughout. I think this is a guy like Adam Adovino that could and probably will benefit from a change of scenery. Let's go to Tom in North Brunswick. You're up next on The Fan.
7: Uh, how's it going, Danielle? Good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing good. You know, I, you know, uh, I used to. I've been calling the station for quite a long time, and I used to bring up stats and everything. And but lately, I've been uh, not doing that. And you, you inspire me. You, I, it sounds like you baseball is number one sport.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say so. Yeah, baseball, football,
1: yeah, it's close. Too. Yeah,
7: yeah, I love baseball. I love the. I, I love the sound of the bat hitting the ball. I love yeah. the field. It's just everything is beautiful. It's not boring to me. So, but, um, but
0: even now, still, like this is a little bit boring to me. As much as I love it with watching yeah. these guys striking out, it's like, dude, come well, yeah. on.
7: Yeah, yeah, I know that 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 is getting boring to me too. But I mean, just the whole baseball is such a great. But who you know, the invention of baseball <laughs> is just was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> what was it, Abner Doubleday or
0: something? Way back in <laughs> a long, long time ago.
7: <laughs> you know, I. If I, I was, there, I'd, I'd write down all the scores, and you know, I keep uh, on the on Mets. I did this when I was on hold, so
1: yeah.
7: I'm not sure if it's good. But the Mets, apparently, it's either 48 games or 47, because I did it real quick. Mm-hmm. They, the Mets have allowed three or less runs. I don't know what their record is because I didn't do it, but it's probably almost unbeatable. I mean, that is, they're, they're, what's carrying, it's not because they're in the National League East. It's, you know, it's because their pitching is outstanding. Yes. It's the best in baseball. Yes. They've only allowed 239 runs. Yep. I know they played a couple of less games, but, I mean, there's teams that are allowed, like, double that or, you know. Now, they've only scored 260 runs, but I think that's going to change.
1: Yeah. And
7: Comforto, I mean, Comforto, I love him, you know, and it's he's big in this lineup. You know what I
0: mean? Michael Conforto, my dad and I always argue about Michael Conforto. He said he's, uh, he's, he's never clutch, blah, blah. Every single time that Michael Conforto comes up clutch, t- Saturday night's game being one of them, I always send my dad a text and he never answers them.
7: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, you know what, if you look, if you look at his career, he, he gets better every year too.
0: Yeah. and the, it, You know. Yeah. Huh? yeah and he, obviously he's due for a big payday and, and, um, you know, I just, I'm not sure that it's going to be in New York, honestly. I don't know if I, I see him playing uh, next year. Well,
7: well, we'll see. I'll miss him if he leaves. I mean, I don't, you know, just clutch stuff yeah. for some people. I mean, I'm not talking about your father, but some <laughs> people take a little too far on the band. Yeah. I mean, all I know is he drives in 90-plus runs, cause he's, and he hits 30-something home runs. And, and uh, you know, just because people thought he was going to be a 330 hitter, I mean, last year he hit 360-game season, but he... Mm-hmm. He still has potential. P- I don't think people understand baseball. Things change, right. you know. You know what I mean? Like a, a player can 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 uh, get better as time goes on.
1: Yeah.
7: And, and guess what? A player can get worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And and real quick, that's a good point on uh on Alonzo. I'm worried a little bit about because he had a sore wrist. And if he's going to be swinging the bat hundred times in the home run derby,
1: mm-hmm.
7: you know, I mean, I I, I know he, he likes he wants to go there, and it's good for him, but. And I'm not. I'm not saying he's selfish or anything, but I. Uh, I was thinking about his wrist. Yeah. So anyway, you have a very nice day today. Yeah. Thank
0: that, thanks, and Tom. Thanks for that. Um, yeah. And that was a concern that, that that I kind of thought of too. You're right. Swinging, swinging the bat a hundred times, um, really is what it really is with power, with lift, and all that. I, that would be another concern of mine. Um, so, Pete Alonso, I, I hope you're listening. I I hope you're listening. But Michael Conforto, I I would love to see him back in a Mets uniform. But you know what? I I actually I think I put the kiss of death on it. I got the jersey curse. You guys know that. When I was at City Field on uh, on Mother's Day for my dad's birthday, I bought a Conforto T-shirt. So I think that might have sealed his fate for next year as not being a New York Met. (laughs) So if he doesn't come back, I will take all the blame for it. All right, 877 337 6666 is the number. You guys uh, give Connor a call in the back room there. Get aboard, and we'll be.
1: Danielle Sports Radio FM, the fan.
0: Welcome back here to McCartan After Midnight on the Fan, everybody in New York City. It is a hot, sticky summer night out there, and you know what? Friday was my last day of school, so it is summertime for me. I can't wait to just wake up on Monday without an alarm. How amazing is that? To all the teachers out there, you deserve it. Well-earned, hard-earned, well-deserved on this summer break. Enjoy it. Stay away from the TV because they're already talking about schools going back in September. I can't already with this, so just enjoy it. I'm doing curriculum work over the summer, so I don't really have a whole summer off, but uh, I I hope to be with you guys some more. Uh, moving forward over uh, these next couple weeks until until school goes back into session here, I'm getting a lot of tweets on on Twitter, obviously at Coach McCartan. This one comes from David Reinhold Brill. He says, "Oh no, this is in regards to my solution for the Yankees." And one of the callers from before, he says, "Oh no, you're now speaking the same old Yankee solution. Spend a ton on a Hall of Famer that will put them over. Wasn't that the Cole story? Spend whatever because he's the answer. Change the script, please." So I politely wrote back. It was an addition of Cole, but a subtraction of Tanaka and Paxton. That's the issue there. That's the short-term fix. The long-term fix, though, is a total roster revamp. And I think it, it's a it's a total clean house of the front office. So short, long-term, what are you taking? And then I got one from uh, at Real John Swan. He says, I got to say, the Yanks are a mediocre team right now. Above average, if one wants to be polite about it, sigh, going nowhere, and a sad face. Yep, I uh, agree with that. So that's where we're at tonight. We've got uh, Mets with a walk-off win. We've got the Islanders closing the barn in game six with a, a thrilling victory, and then falling um, at the hands of, of the defending champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Are you guys going to continue to watch I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to watch. I haven't watched any basketball since the Nets were out, although it's on the TV right here. Um, I just can't get into it if there's no New York teams. Maybe I'll watch the NBA Finals. Maybe I'll watch a game or two or a period or two of the, the Stanley Cup Finals. I'm sure I'm going to get you getting the text from my cousin, uh, the update, so maybe I don't even have to watch it, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I think we're fully, after this weekend, fully engaged in uh, – Baseball and basketball mode. And don't forget, coming up at 340, Alex Schiffer from the Athletic NYC and the Athletic NBA will be joining us to, you know, put a nice bow on the next season It's to kind of very preliminary, preliminarily look into the year, their off-season plans and uh, co- coaching vacancy they have now, assistant coaching that is, assistant coaching vacancy, um, what deficiencies that were exposed throughout the playoff run, and uh, all stuff like that. So, if you're a Nets fan, 340 is the time. Until then, we'll go back to the phones, 877-337-6666. We'll go up to Waterbury, Connecticut. And, Matt, you're up on the fan.
5: Hey, how you doing, hon? Good morning. Good morning. Listen, everything you said, when my teams lose, I don't want to watch the rest. Right? Like- I could care less
0: but then but my next question is this Matt answer me this would you ra- now the team that beat you you and your team would you ra- would you want them to win it all so you could say you we'll, lost to the we'll champ
5: no way There's, what? Wait, the win- no way are you crazy <laughs> come on let on but you tell it- you no you're not Italian what's the matter with you? my grandmother she's downstairs right uh, yeah. you, know, you know let her sleep right so <laughs> she's like the only thing she's like Sanchez I don't she doesn't understand I said listen this kid, he had a hot streak, right? And mm-hmm. Evan, you know, no milk bats. Take his my phone, my, my own. You know, this kid. Leave it, you know. <laughs> I love Evan. He's a nice kid. Believe me, he is. I guess. You know, back page, whatever, who cares? Okay. She goes like this. You know what? Have him get Sanchez out, and I want the Posada back.
1: Posada. I love Posada. Posada. No,
5: the reason why, i tell you why. <laughs> and uh, and I'm I'm with her on this one because, you know, he's an old school guy. No gloves, no nothing. barehanded. handed He's a tough SOB, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Girardi. uh, The reason why they got rid of Girardi, I think, was because of Sanchez. Yes, because Girardi's tough on catchers because he's a catcher. Right, he's a dying kid. You know, whatever. Yep. And uh, him deciding to get along, anyways. While he's still hot, sell him. Get rid of him. Let's get some new guys. Uh, I don't care what you gotta do, but like you said, they said mediocre. You know. And my grandmother, she's ninety years old. Mm -hmm. She's from the old country. Mm -hmm. She came around a boat. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, She knows I know. good from bad. And the thing is, like, to me, I love Girardi, but he's over there with the, you know, let him do his thing. You know, I love him. He, he gets the hot temper, you know. I wish he was the Mets coach, but we'll forget about that story. But, yes. CHS, I want your opinion. Do you think he's just a hot Kamani for a minute and let's sell him or keep him? Because I don't, I think he's got a bad attitude. I see sometimes off camera. And I heard the John Sterling thing, like, you know, it's not his fault. You know, they should, like Evan said, you know, you got to be back in the stadium. Another thing is, do uh, you think it's just like a hot commodity, or is it just like um, sell him or just keep him Like uh, even, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, our buddy there, what's his name, uh, With Maggie and, uh, Moose. And, and Moose. Moose Moose said, hang on to him. Maggie's like, I would get rid of him. So I'm with the get rid of him part. Yeah. Not that he's a bad I think he's... Um, I've seen a few bullies, bullies in my life, and I think he's like a bully. And the, and the, you know, he's the catcher, and he don't even speak English. He's just kind of like. All right, hey, all right, basta, what?
0: basta, no, Matt. Not,
5: that, not that, part, but the point is, like, uh, he's kind of like a bully.
0: Yeah, well, okay, Matt. Grazie e basta on that part, but listen, uh, th- this, this is a, a Gary Sanchez conundrum here, everybody. What do you do with Gary Sanchez? It's a great question. It's a fair question. It's a question that I posed to Brian Hoke um, last week. I guess he was on with us. I am in the camp of unload him. For me, he hasn't performed well enough for long enough to be a, a staple on this team. Not to mention the fact that he is one of those guys that... Is movable. That is one of those guys that's all or nothing, uh, home run or strikeout. But and he's movable. Giancarlo Stanton is not going anywhere. So how many more of him do we need in this roster, in this lineup? Gary Sanchez, they can the, the Yankees could kind of kill two birds with one stone. Ship off Sanchez, get something really good, only really good in return, like excellent package in return for him. I'm not going to conjecture what that is. I mean, we're not there yet, but I am I would be picking up the phone if people were calling me about Gary Sanchez. Now, the other part of the other shoe on this is okay, well then, who's your who's your catcher? Kyle Higashioka could he catch every day? Potentially. I I'd, I'd have to see it. Um, you know a guy like Garrett Cole only wants him behind the plate. And something that people don't talk about, which I brought up which no one seems to caught on catch on just yet. Did you notice Corey Kluber in his two or three starts leading up to his no-hitter? You know who his catcher was? Kyle Higashioka. You know who caught that game? Kyle Higashioka. So if two of your your one number one starter and your number two starter when he comes back obviously want and prefer to pitch to Kyle Higashioka, that kind of makes the point for me right there, doesn't it? But then they're going to need to get some just a defensive catcher just to play on the off days. So that's kind of where they're at with that. Could they do it? Sure, yes. And I think in the long term, at first, people, Gary Sanchez lovers, call me up. I mean, I'm sure you're going to. But it's best for the team in the long term to get that all or nothing bat out of the lineup. And honestly if I were a pitcher like Zach Britton or a Chapman, I would be with a runner on third, the game on the line. I would be quite nervous to paint any corners to doink one in the dirt because I'm not sure that he's coming up with the ball in a big spot behind the plate and behind the backstop. So uh, yes, I I guess based on what you you said, I'm with Maggie. I'm shipping him out only under those conditions. Uh, But I think he is a, uh, an expendable piece on this Yankees roster and, for the simple fact that they would just be ridding, it's almost like addition by subtraction. They would be ridding themselves of that feast or famine bat at the plate and potentially getting someone else uh, in there instead that can, you know, spray the ball all over the field. So, Gary Sanchez, I'd be a seller on him too. Kevin in Camden, you're up next on The Fan.
8: What's up, Coach? How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you?
8: I am good. I want to talk about the Yankees. Yes. First, Um, the only thing that went through my mind was pitchers that got away because you got Nate Evaldi yeah. dominated.
0: Yes, dominated. I was thinking about that too, Kevin. Yes.
8: Nate Evaldi dominated the Yankees. Mm-hmm. It was just like
0: they had this guy they let him walk not only
8: did they let him walk they let him walk so I think it was Tampa first and then Boston. Yes. And it's just what else can you say? I know. That's one. Ottavino, He was on your team last year. Mm-hmm. You trade him again. This is like, I'm, I'm rehashed. Like, what is this? You're, you're letting Mike Ford go. You're letting talk, go. You're
0: letting of you go. I mean, it's just, what are you doing? I, I, and that's a fair point. And wait, I, I screenshotted this before and I didn't get a chance to add it to my notes. Everybody, you ready? And Kevin, we predicted this. Since being, yeah. tra- this is a tweet from Max T. Goodman. Since being traded from the Yankees to the Rays, Mike Ford is hitting 313 in AAA with five hits and five RBIs in four games.
8: Oh, no, he'll he'll be up relatively short. He'll be up. He's, he'll be up, and he'll be killing the Yankees.
0: He's going to be uh, Babe Ruth reincarnated. I think.
8: Yeah. No. He'll he'll be up, and he'll be killing the Yankees. And yep. you know what? I will call you that week when he play the Yankees, and and we'll just say we, we knew it. We called it way before.
0: Of course. Now so, and, and 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 don't you know what? I think Gary Sanchez will will go into a different stratosphere too once he's out of here. But you know what? The players that are here when they're here. They have to produce. And if they don't, they're out. That's it. Yep. yep.
8: And really quick about the Mets. The Mets have really had a hard time hitting. And I mean really hard. <laughs> but Mr. Hoskins, I got... He contributed to us winning. He contributed He couldn't... over uh, overthrew him on Friday. That led us to, to win the first one. And then the error this past... This past game. And I'm like... I mean the he booted Phillies it just...
0: he booted the ball <laughs> like and that ended up being the game I guess tying run at that point eventually but I mean how could he didn't know he didn't know where it was did you see it it hit him off the ankles or whatever it hit him and he's just looking around like oh, where is it <laughs> yeah no
8: it's just i mean, really Reese I mean and if, he, and if he said what he said if he said this quote which I'm still in shock if he would have said what he said when he, if he were the Yankee or a Met we'd be killing him here I mean they're killing him in Philly I mean, it's, I heard the radio for that, and they are killing him for what said.
0: Yeah, Kevin, you sent it to me. We we have it queued up, and we'll play it once once you're done here. But, um, I, and for anybody, it, it was ridiculous. I mean, he was like, Kevin, go ahead. Tell him. He was like, uh, just uh, yeah, make like, sure we, we talk about sure the good things. About the, make sure we write
8: about the good things, too. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? That, like, you lose. You you cost your team a brutal loss, and he's all positive, talking about like like oh yeah, like F. pitched the Grom. oh oh we did, oh we did this, we have some good at bats. Like, what?
0: Doesn't that sound it's though? <laughs> doesn't that sound like Aaron Boone at times though? Well, you know, I, I, I couldn't. I
8: I was in shock. I I'm not here to mock the guy. I really was like, wow. When <laughs> you say that, <laughs> I can't even. I'm going to see him next week. I'm going to be at the stadium and seeing him next week. I wonder what
0: positive space he's going to have next week. You should okay. bring a sign that says "positive stories only."
8: that <laughs> yeah, just might. You, you might have inspired me to do something. There. <laughs> Look My at that! Goodness, I, I still can't believe it. <laughs> I, I, as far as the um, the Mets and the Yankees, I'm I'm hoping that the, well, the Yankees need to wake up first off, and the Mets just please continue to win. Even if please just stop hitting boys. Because I mean, this is just—it's almost at. I mean, Saber's record should not have been tied. I'm still peeved about that. <laughs> the mess need to wake up to the hell this so Yeah. Well, real the, quick. the
0: yeah. pitching has been carrying them. So.
8: Yep. And really quick, I know I didn't bring this up, but
0: Charlie Bullops, No offense, but Becky Hammond should be the, the coach. I'm mm. sorry. Well, you know what? And I and I and thanks, Kevin, for the call. I'm I'm, I'm always a a really big proponent of, especially of Becky Hammond. But you know what? Maybe she's the one who turned it down. We don't know what happened behind the, uh, the, the, uh, the closed doors there. So maybe she's got a better opportunity somewhere else. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But Becky Hammond for head coach, I'm, I want to put that on a T-shirt. Um, let's cue up that audio for Reese Hoskins. So you guys got to hear this if you missed it.
9: I got to catch the ball. I got to make the play. Um, if you're going to write about that, obviously write about it. But don't forget to write about the great things today. Eflin al de um, and maybe the biggest game of the year, right? A game that we knew that we had to win. Um, we had great at-bats great at off the ground. I don't know what, how many strikeouts he ended up, but I'm going to guess it was a season low. Um, you know, We had the lead going into the uh, late innings again on the road in a pretty hostile environment today. So just don't forget to write about the really good things, too.
0: If any New York Met or New York Yankee said that, I would kill them. And as Kevin said, The Philly host, whoever was on, I didn't see who it was, was killing Reese Hawkins to suggest that Eifling out-dueled DeGrom is, is laughable, quite honestly. And he did make a good point. One point was DeGrom had his least amount of strikeouts that he has, you know, pitched this entire season, which is true, five. But when I look at the stats between the Philadelphia starting pitcher and the New York starting pitcher in that game, there is no competition between the two of them. There really isn't. Of course, Okay, I'm looking at it. Let's compare them. Eiflin pitched six innings, so did DeGrom. Eiflin gave up five hits. DeGrom gave up three. Uh, earned runs, DeGrom had two. Eiflin had one. One walk each and one more strikeout for DeGrom. To suggest that he dominated Jacob deGrom or that lineup dominated Jacob deGrom, it's just laughable. Just, It's just ridiculous. Like, Reese Hoskins, you are a moron. You are the moron of the day to write about the good things. Are you kidding me? You booted a ball and you lost the game in a, in a walk-off fashion versus a, a division rival, the first place New York Mets, and you want the writers to, and the hosts on the radio shows to talk about the good things that happened? The good things that happened. Okay, how about the fact that you were oh for three at the plate with a strikeout? I mean, and so you didn't contribute offensively to the game, and in and when it mattered, when it counted, you didn't contribute defensively to the game either. So Reese Hoskins, dude, what the heck are you talking about, man? I mean, really? You want to talk about the how the team left was one for eight? With runners in scoring position, five runners left on base. Come on, it's just come on, laughable. So Reese Hoskins, you are the joke of the day. I mean, you do wear my favorite number seventeen. I'll give you that, but um, man, what a joke you are. So after the um, the Yankee rainout on May twenty sixth, I was finally able to exchange my tickets, as you guys know, and of course I picked what was going to look like uh, it was going to be yet another rainout this past week. And let me tell you all about my first time back to Yankee stadium since October 18, 2019, when the Yankees beat Verlander and the Astros in the ALCS coming right up. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning. I guess we can say now McCartan after midnight here on the fan, the host that ripped John uh, Reese Hoskins. Kevin sent it to me was uh, John Johnson from our sister station down there. WIP in Philadelphia, and I was just kind of looking through his timeline, and uh, he retweeted a tweet that, that someone sent to him that said, what a Chuck E. Cheese response from Reese. No one cared how good the food was on the Titanic. <laughs> oh, Reese Hoskins. You want a participation trophy, my dude? Come on, man. So all day this past Tuesday, it was raining. And not just like regular rain, like we're talking downpour rain all day. But... Me and my friend, we decided to take a chance. We drove into the Bronx, still pouring. We parked on the top deck of the parking garage, still pouring. And then we walked to Billy's, a little less rain. The Yankees tweeted, and I think it was at like 6.41 p.m. that night, that the game was expected to start on time, 7.05. Me and my friend were like, no way. We were convinced that game was not starting on time. So we waited in the torrential downpour in the the parking garage. We waited it out. and we, We went to Billy's. As it turns out, we missed the first inning in getting into the stadium from Billy's through the gate to the seats. You know the deal. I say this because this was my first time sitting in the right field bleachers. And I totally missed being a part of the roll call. So that was a little disappointing for me. We were just convinced it wasn't going to start on time. I mean, did you see it outside on Tuesday? So. It was so much fun. I'm going back again this week. So Wednesday, when the Angels come to town, I will be at Yankee Stadium. And like I did last week, I'll update you on our whereabouts before the game starts if you guys want to come and say hi. By the way, nobody came to Billy's. I'm just saying maybe inside the stadium is going to be easier. So I'll tell you, me and my friend, we're going to be in Section 206 this time. So write it down. 206 Wednesday. Mike Trout and the Angels are coming to town and I'll be there at Yankee Stadium to see it if you guys missed it I took not to be uh I took an amazing picture of Yankee Stadium if you guys saw it I'll go back in my timeline and retweet it 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 was the the clearing of the rain and it was the sunset all at the same time I'll retweet it um in a second so you guys can can see that uh until then uh again we have uh um Alex Schiffer coming on at 340 in the morning. So we have some calls to get through 877-337-6666 in the meantime. And I just hit retweet on the Yankee stadium picture that I took. Let's go to Yonkers and Kevin, you're up next on the fan.
10: Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Of course, Thanks uh, for making it.
0: <clears throat> well, let me tell you, it, it,
10: it's fun. I've been listening to the fan for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you know, thoroughly love and enjoy, but you know, seldom ever uh, call, uh, and, and, you know, years back when, when I would attend to either, you know, myself or, or with a group of friends, never would get through. Um, however, I recently, um, relocated into Connecticut and, and Moonlight as a bartender. Um, and, you know, I'm like, hey, let me give it a shot, got through. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be a caller while well, listening to the show. You know, your original um, thought and purpose for calling, it, you know, easily changes with the flow of the show. Yeah, it's okay. Um, and I, yeah, I just marvel, you know, at that. That's completely fine to me. Um, I'm a teacher, and I heard you mention, you know, celebrating Friday being the last day. Yes. It, it, admittedly, I'm not sure your connection um, uh, to, to education. Are you? Uh, can you? You tell me what it is? Well, yeah, I, mean, I
0: teach five days a week, full-time teacher during the week, Italian teacher.
10: Uh, no way! Yeah. High school?
0: Yeah, uh, I, I was teach- high school for a long time, but now I'm in the middle school.
10: All right, I teach high school history in the Bronx, okay, public school. Yep. And, you know, so now I have, uh, you know, about uh, almost an hour commute. Um, and, of course, you know, I like to occupy it. Um, I'm always entertained, you know, with the, with the fans. Some callers are great. And some callers are awful, and sometimes the callers that are awful are, are great. <laughs> you know, for the wrong reasons, for entertainment purposes. But, um, I, yeah, I, I, I love what uh, I love what goes on. And um, while you're new to me, um, I, I am uh, thoroughly entertained uh, and enjoy it. At any rate, I have not stopped smiling since yesterday. Um, I I uh, unset my alarm as I mentioned <laughs> <the>
0: earlier. <laughs> Is that the best feeling like ever? I fifteen a.m. alarm. I might like, turn that off. <laughs> I don't
10: have to wake up and manage it. Uh, you know, it's just such a wonderful feeling. All right. So um, give me anyway. Yankees
0: point. What do you got for me?
10: All right, Gary Sanchez. As I hear you talking, yeah. Okay, I am a hundred percent on board uh, with you and what you said. Maggie's position was, and I'll tell you why. Um, while I absolutely um, respect and acknowledge the fact that, you know, he, he is hot as hell and, you know, on a tear right now, and, you know, this is a demonstration of what he can do, which is why we should sell, mm-hmm. we should not forget how awful he is defensively,
1: mm-hmm. okay?
10: And, 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 and with that, you know, with being awful, uh, I recognize all the work that they've put in, uh, you know, with him to improve uh dropping down to one knee to try to get you know frame that that low strike uh, zone when he drops down to a knee he has no lateral movement Correct. okay mm-hmm. pitchers don't like or trust throwing to him i don't know why that's not um, understood you know by the masses mm-hmm. you know more right uh, and frankly he's lazy he's downright lazy and i don't want lazy <laughs> I really, really don't. I mean, it's insulting, it's insulting to the game that I love, you know, and played my whole life, uh, you know, and enjoy watching, and that's not going to change. That's a character, okay? And he's doing great now. Listen, let's move him. Okay, now Higashio, uh, Higgy, um, he can't hit well enough, but, but, but quite frankly, this team and the way in which it's built, to be able to support a catcher weak hitting you know, that is strong defensively. Mm-hmm. If everybody does their role and part as they should, we should be able to sustain that. Yeah, okay? I, I mean, agree. And, you know, and, and the fact that it's not, you know, the fact that it's exposed, you know, we're blown up more so right now. Listen, that's a demonstration of Cashman' bad job signing a guy like Stanton to a contract. The guy can't even play defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this is, Sanchez might have a, might have a shot, at staying with us, to just hit. It's then to free play to field. I, 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 you, you know what I mean? Then it might be a possibility. But right. at the current rate at which, you know, the current state of the at which it is, uh, I can't and won't forget that he is lazy and he is awful defensively. And that's not going to change. So I agree to say so. Sell now, you know. Sell while he's you know doing what he is, because sadly, it's not going to last.
0: Yeah, and, and Kevin, thanks for the call there. So, a couple things here. One, I would say I, I, to me anyway, I think that that Sanchez has somewhat lifted that lazy label. I mean, players that I've talked to and people that I've talked to um, say that he he he's not. I think, and I've said it on here. I think he's just trying to just do too much, take in too much do it all at once, implement it all at once, and it's just not working for him. It's confusing him, the, you know, the leg down, you know, all that stuff. Framing the pitches, all that. It's just, it's just too much for him. They're just trying to revamp him instead of just letting him go and play. So that's the first thing. So I don't. I, I think in the beginning, yes, when he wasn't running out the, the, the ground balls, the fly balls, pop-ups, all that, yes, completely lazy. I haven't seen it in a while. But I'm with you on that they should sell high on him. Look at what he can do. Look at what he can be, right? Here he is. And then, boom, drop the hammer on him. And and you're right. If this roster performs the way it should, you can absorb the bat of Kyle Higashioka. But you know what? He's got a little pop to his bat, too. So we'll see. We'll see what they do. I would move him. I am in I am in the, the camp of move Gary Sanchez. And if he goes elsewhere and blows up, you know, it wouldn't be the first time. It's kind of expected, actually. But on this team... He is, um, he's uh, he's not the, the the missing piece here, and it would be one step in the right direction to d all or nothing their lineup in my opinion, and uh, and let's not forget that he is Cole's personal catcher and Kluber's personal catcher. No one has mentioned that. No one seems to me- mention that. And just before I talked about, like you just said too, Kevin, about the um, the confidence factor in the pitchers that that that, that they have in him and, and Zach Britton, who lives at the bottom of the strike zone. I wouldn't be too confident if I were him. Let's go to Dominic in Brooklyn. You're up next on The Fan. Dominic, are you there? Yeah, how are you, Chief? I'm good. How are you? Where'd he go? He hung up. He got excited and he hung up. All right, let's go to Joe and Rosalind. You're up next.
11: Yeah, hi. How are you? I'm good. How are
0: you? Okay,
11: Uh, listen. Gary Sanchez can carry a club done it in the past just not he's this one On a hot streak he could carry a club he's going to wind up at least with 30 home runs this season he's got 13 and 29 that's
0: exactly and so so move him get get something why do really you good. want to move
11: him how many catches can carry a club
0: um well have you been paying attention to what he's been doing this is just a streak this is this is not a long-term thing for gary sanchez have, have you seen that the $300 million pitcher doesn't want to pitch to him and the number two guy behind him doesn't want to pitch to him either?
11: Well, yeah, I see that. But
0: Okay, but that's a big thing, isn't it? That's a big investment. You know, if the, two, the, two, the baseball, two fifths of your rotation doesn't want to pitch to the guy, I mean, come on. He's got a cannon of an arm. Yeah, but he can't throw anybody out because he's from his knees. He's thrown he from has his knees. He's thrown some people out. This, some.
11: He won a game with them throwing somebody okay. out. The second. It ended the game. And as far as, uh, the pitchers chapman he he throws some terrible terrible sinkers and sliders and uh, it's hard for anybody to catch now this japanese kid he can't he's not a full-time player who the japanese kid that's chin uh cole he's not a, a full-time player
0: what's his name well, I, I I don't know his name, but oh, come on, Joe. We were just talking about it. his name is Kyle Higashioka. Come on, let's let's not do that. Gary Sanchez is, is you know what he can carry a team. That's fine. Go carry some other team because it it's not going to be the Yankees. The defensive metrics of this guy are awful to the point that their highest invested pitchers don't want to pitch to him. That should tell you everything you need to know. And Garrett Cole, who's a baseball nerd, doesn't want to pitch to him. I was just trying to pull up caught-stealing stats, and I'm going to run out of time here. Caught-stealing. Caught-stealings, I just put. Ah, I'll have it for you when we come up. But, yeah, he had, listen, Gary Sanchez has one of the fastest glove-to-hand transfer uh, times in-, in baseball. He does. But when he's behind the plate, and he's got one leg extended all the way out, I mean, there's no, like the caller before said, there's no lateral mobility. There's no mobility. He gets tied up, turns his glove the wrong way at times, ball squirts by him. I mean, enough is enough. Seen enough defensively to know that um, the offense, the the uptick in offense, fine, sell him. Be done with him. And up next, we've got Alex Schiffer from the uh, the Athletic NBA and the Athletic NYC to put a bow on the uh, on the Nets season. So coming right up, Alex Schiffer on The Fan.
1: No sleep till!
0: Joining us now here on The Fan is Alex Schiffer, returning guest, Brooklyn Nets beat reporter, the Athletic NYC and the Athletic NBA. Alex, welcome back to the show.
4: What's going on, Danielle? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so the Nets playoff. So before we look to the future of the Nets, I kind of want to just rehash put a nice neat little bow on the Nets playoffs and um being there right in the atmosphere. Could you, cause on TV, it was palpable. I can't imagine what it was like being there. What was the atmosphere like at the Barkley center when Kevin Durant hit that long range shot to send it to overtime and then compare it against when he missed the long range shot in overtime.
4: Yeah. I mean, when he hit it, it was probably about as loud as I've ever heard the arena in my two years on the beat. And then, you know, whatever uh, numerous events I went to over the years, whether it's college basketball or, or whatever. And um, definitely definitely some silence after he airballed the shot that that would have extended the game. But, you know, they were also running out of gas in overtime. So I think that they, uh, the, the fans were kind of starting to maybe think that the uh, the ground was coming up from underneath them. So de- definitely a, a night and day difference. But when he hit the the shot to send it to overtime, I mean, that was about as loud as, as it's ever been there.
0: I think... You said running out of gas, and I think you can kind of see it on the replay, the slow-mo replay. That is, I think Kevin Durant made a conscious decision to take a three-pointer versus to drive the lane on that to tie it up at 113. What was your impression?
4: Yeah, I think he was going for the dagger for sure. I also think, you know, it was what the defense was giving him, but uh, you know, he had just hit a really similar shot, so I don't blame him for kind of going to what was working for him. And uh and I mean definitely, you know, again, based on the way they were shooting, I, I think that they were better off trying to go for the win than try to extend the game, probably.
0: There were, I don't know if it was, no, it's been a little bit removed from it, but it was either the possession before or two possessions before that final air ball. He had pulled up almost on the elbow and and it was also an air ball too. And I'm thinking like, I'm yelling at the TV, he has no legs. Why on earth would he... Think if I knew it, he definitely knew it. Why on earth would he think that he had enough legs to put a three-pointer in to end the game?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I think that was kind of the story of their season sometimes is when they were losing, they would go into this isolation heavy offense instead of running a set. And, you know, as as one coach told me early in the year when they traded for Harden, I mean, when you have three of the best one-on-one players ever, having them go ISO to find their shot, you know, that's still not a bad game plan. It's not as good as it could be given the talent around you, but I think that was always kind of there. It's not Achilles heel because obviously, again, it's not the worst game plan, but I think that was just what they reserved to too often when they were losing. And I think you could have seen that there a bit, but again, I mean, you know, he was still having a great game and, and you can't really fault having the ball in your best player's hands down the stretch like that, even if the result is far from a made shot.
0: And you mentioned having all three of them, but obviously everybody knows the Nets were without all three of them. I mean, Kyrie was out. It was half a Harden, yet the Nets only went with two subs in game seven. Why did they not go to the bench more?
4: I think it definitely came down to experience in some ways and who they could, you know, heavily rely on. I mean, you know, Landry Shamit and Blake Griffin and Jeff Green, all those guys have extensive playoff experience over the years. I think Jeff Green had the has set a record this postseason of appearing in the most playoffs for different teams. So, you know, I, I think you look at some of the guys, I mean, Nick Claxton obviously gave them great minutes throughout the season. Um, that, you know, they had other guys like that, but I, I think it was in, you know, winner go home, high stakes, all the chips at the center of the table. They were really only going for who they know they can get something out of and who has been there before. Right. So I, I think that their depth or lack thereof definitely caught up with them towards the end of their postseason run in. And I think you kind of wondered if they, if that Kevin Durant shots a three instead of a two, I mean, they, they couldn't have gotten to the conference finals like that. So it, it definitely it definitely made food for thought of if they advanced. I mean, could they hung on to this very tight rotation going into the conference finals, given all the mileage on Durant and Harden and, and injured Harden at that to wait for Kyrie to come back? So I, I definitely think that they ran out of experienced bodies towards the end of this thing.
0: Realistically, you know, and as well as anybody in a league dictated by superstars teaming up, and in this case, tripling up. I, I wonder, and I know it's hard to tell, but how much farther could they possibly have gotten with just Kevin Durant?
4: Yeah, it's definitely food for thought with, um, with Atlanta beating Philly, you know, it's Atlanta played the Nets early in the season. Like they had a a mini series in Brooklyn, those two games in a row in December, but that was before the Harden trade and the Nets won, but it, it, they, I think they split the series, but then. Net switch everything defense and the Hawks' ability to slip ball screens, especially John Collins, who might be the best at it in the league. They, they had a lot of matchup problems for them, so I think that would have given them some problems. And, and you're seeing in this series right now, you know, at, Atlanta has a lot of different ways to hurt you. I mean, they have Danilo Gallinari, the former Nick Trey Young is just unconscious right now. I don't really know what what you classify his play as. I don't. I don't know. If burning or on fire is really fair justice to him. Clint Capella is playing out of his mind. I think they were poised to advance, especially if they got Kyrie back at some point in that series. I don't think Kyrie would have been healthy for the game one or two of the conference finals. I think the goal would have been to bring him back at some point in that series, but not immediately. I think that they would have been poised to advance to the finals for sure. I mean, given, given their talent level and their experience level compared to this young Atlanta team, but I I don't think they would have swept Atlanta if they were to have faced him. I think it maybe would have gone six games.
0: Starting with Alex Schiffer, Brooklyn Nets writer for, the athletic NYC why? And I had, I went back to the stats just to be sure here. Why I am a fan of the movie meet the Fockers. Have you seen it?
4: No, I'm trying to catch oh. up on movies in the off season. My cousin Vinny's up uh, next on the list. Actually. Uh,
0: yeah. I've never I'll seen that, that on
4: there. All right. I, I'm Italian in New York and I've never seen my cousin Vinny. I know you could take away my, uh, my birth certificate if you want.
0: Well, yours in mine too, Alex, but, um, there's there's a scene in the movie, and Robert De Niro pulls out a diagram and he calls it the, the circle of trust. And he says to the son-in-law, the potential son-in-law, you're out here and uh, you need to be in here, but well, whatever. But my question is ultimately tying into this, why had DeAndre Jordan fallen out of that circle of trust? He didn't get one single minute
4: during the playoffs. Fans are interesting sometimes because, you know, for a longest time when he was struggling out there, there's people like, you know, give clacks in his minutes and- and, you know, we can't keep playing him like that. And then Steve Nash elected to take him out of the rotation. And then everyone's like, where'd he go? What happened? You know, I, I think that given the defense they were getting from Blake Griffin and, and Kevin Durant on Giannis, they didn't see as big of a need for him. And again, hindsight's 2020, obviously offensive rebound and killed him in game seven. And there was definitely a need for him on the boards. But I also don't think that DeAndre Jordan's the reason that they lost the series you know I mean it's funny you know the the way people talk about Joe Harris and his series too and and he's even said if I played better we're probably advancing as bad as he his play was and even though they didn't play the Andre if the Nets are healthy they advance you know that to me that that's what it all kind of comes back to but I I just think that they kind of felt like they were better off going with other players and and I think maybe his his defensive play had, had hurt him enough to a point to where they didn't trust him out there or didn't feel like they were going to be able to get enough given the matchups. But, you know, I, as you said, I definitely think that there's been times in the Bucks series and, and maybe even a little bit against Boston, even though that was a five-game series, to where you could say, well, they could use him right now. They're not going to him. I guess that tells you all you need to know. So it's And it's going to be interesting definitely what uh, – what happens to them next season with him? I mean, Nick Claxton continues to play really well. They've been tied to some centers and mock drafts. Do they go that direction? What does that, that all looks like is going to be very interesting to follow.
0: I'm sure you saw Kevin Durant being at the New York Liberty game the other night. So what kind of boost does that do for both him, the Nets, and
4: the Liberty. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously a huge WNBA fan. He's he's been on a couple of players' podcasts before. I think I remember listening to him on a podcast with Nafisha Collier. He's got definitely some friends in in that circle, and I, I think it's great for the Liberty. I mean, you know, last year there was the wobble, and they didn't get to really capitalize on having Sabrina Ionescu and and what you know her her star power brings to Barclays Center, and uh, and I think it's been cool to see. Kevin courtside with with Nets owner Joe Sine, his agent, Rich Kleiman, and, and Joe's wife, Clara. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure he won't be the last out there. I think Steve Nash took in a game, too.
0: Cool. Yeah, I'm, I've definitely missed that. So future Nets, speaking of Steve Nash, how could he improve? You know, give him suggestions to improve as a head coach after year one.
4: I mean, I think he did really well for a rookie head coach given the circumstances and all the attrition they had. Their ability to get the two seed despite all the injuries and I mean, they played 27 different, 27 different players this season That's a franchise record, 38 different starting lineups, another franchise record. So I think he did a really good job given the hand he was dealt. You know, his timeout management probably could be a bit better. Some have said rotation, stuff like that. But again, you look at the overall body of work. Again, I don't think his coaching is the reason they lost. So I, I, I think he'll get better with the job as experience goes on. You know, he's been big on trying to play Work through mistakes, which is what you know. Some Mike D'Antoni did when he played with him in Phoenix, or was coached by him in Phoenix, I should say. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see as he grows in the job more. Of you know, does he keep that mindset with timeouts and that kind of stuff of letting him play through mistakes, or does he kind of you know shorten that span for that kind of stuff? That's going to be interesting. And You know, he never really got a chance to install the defense he wanted to. It seems like because of all the injuries, you know they. He talked about them going into multiple defenses during the course of a the game. They just went with the switch everything defense Mike D'Antoni had in Houston. Emu Doka, who was a defensive coordinator for him, essentially, left for Boston. So, you know, do they bring someone else in for that position and kind of change their look defensively is, is also something to consider. What is the team going to be missing in his absence? Yeah, I mean, he, he was one of the league's top assistants for years. You know, he interviewed for a ton of head coaching jobs before joining the Nets as an assistant. People might not know this, but he actually, you know... When the Nets hired Kenny Atkinson, Imudoka was like the guy in second place, essentially. If they couldn't get Kenny, it was probably going to be him. Players love him. He's, he's very much a player's coach. You know, doesn't hold back. He's not afraid to say what's on his mind. It's funny talking to a lot of people since he left for the Celtics. He, he reminds a lot of people of Brad Stevens. There was like a Brad Stevens type of guy. So I'm, I'm curious kind of see what he does up there and how that all works. I definitely think that he's he's a big loss just in the sense of what he bring from a, a relationship with the players perspective. And then even just the X's and O's he was helpful on.
0: Have you heard any rumblings, grumblings of anybody to fill it yet?
4: Not really. I mean, you know, there's, there's still some more attrition. They could tough, you know, Jacques Vaughn is very much in the mix for the Pelicans job. Mike D'Antoni, the same for the, the trailblazers job so they could have a number of openings. Uh, you know, I had a story on The Athletic that kind of looked into some possible names. You know, Lloyd Pierce, the former Hawks coach, is a name that everyone on Twitter started bringing up because he played college basketball at Santa Clara with Steve Nash. They're very good friends. You know, he brings head coaching experience. He's big on ball movement offensively, which was we talk, uh, what we kind of talked about. With, you know, the offense getting stagnant nice so heavy, you know, he's, he's like the anti of that. And obviously Steve is too. So that'd be a natural fit. Phil Handy on the Lakers has been associated with the Nets forever because he's very tight with Kyrie Irving. Jaron Collins, or Jerron Collins, I should say, um, former Warriors assistant. He overlapped with Kevin and Steve, both in Golden State, and he was their defensive coordinator. And they had a top five defensive rating this past season. So he makes a lot of sense from the relationship and the uh defensive standpoint. Also played with Sean Marks and Steve Nash during their careers. So there's a lot of connections there. Those are those are some of the few I touched on.
0: Lots of names, and we'll be we'll be glued to it, I'm sure. We're talking with um, Alex Schiffer, Brooklyn, that's writer for the athletic New York City and the Athletic NBA, expanding now some off-season roster plans down the stretch of this season. What deficiency or deficiencies have been exposed on the construction of this team from a roster standpoint?
4: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, if they're fully healthy, you know, probably they're able to mask a lot of that. I I definitely think that they could probably use, you know, a a 3 and D wing type defender of sorts. You know, someone I'm kind of going to be curious to see what happens within free agency, David Nawaba. he was a net, in 2019 to 2020, but Torres' Achilles in December in San Antonio. I was at that game. There was a lot of times this season I thought they could have used a guy like him, 6'9", terrific defender, great on the boards. His three-point shooting, he was shooting over 40% when he got hurt. He kind of fits a lot of what they could have probably helped with defensively. And the biggest thing I think is that he's not an expensive guy. He's not someone that you need to – Get a Brink's truck for, you know, he, he was on like a minimum deal or close to one this past season and he kind of fits their cap situations very tight because they have three max contracts with a big three on their paybooks. Getting a guy like him, I think would be, would be a great ad for sure.
0: Yeah, my next question was the financial situation of the team this off season. Those three max contracts and the Joe Harris deal. I mean, how much wiggle room do they really actually have?
4: Not a ton. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with some of these guys. You know, Jeff Green, who had a, tre- a tremendous year and was great with the media, so it would be cool for him to come back for our jobs. His career earnings, and I, I handicapped this to say, obviously, this is still a very a lot of money that I'm sure you would take as well as me, Danielle. But um, you know, his career earnings are like 81 million. But he's never he's been on the minimum deals a lot the past few seasons. His, his biggest salary year, I think was in 2015 or 16 with the Orlando Magic, which was a one year 15 million dollar deal. You know all that's to say he's on the minimum right now. The Nets probably can't afford to offer him much more, even though he's clearly due for a raise. He's going to be 35 come August. I mean if a team offers him a two three year deal for five million a year, you'd think for him, he'd have to take it, right? That's probably his last shot at getting a decent paycheck while he's in the later stage of his career. So... You know, what happens to guys like that? You know, Blake Griffin's also a guy due for a raise. You know, he kind of, based on how he was talking, he was clearly talking about the losing in Detroit probably got to him. And, you know, being on a contending team reinvigorated him. He's due for a race. I could probably see him staying with a contending team of sorts on a cheap deal. I mean, the, the Pistons are still paying him from that mega deal they bought out, which must be nice. Again, so is he a guy that's going to take a discount to stay with the Nets or is he going to, if he gets offered again, like a two-year, $10 million type deal or whatever it might be? Is he going to leave for greener pasture? So there's a lot of decisions like that for more for those guys to make of, do I stay with the Nets for a chance to win a title or do I kind of follow the money a little bit?
0: My brother, who's a huge Nets fan, he seems to think Spencer Dinwiddie will find his way back to this team. He's obviously one of the top point guards in uh, on the market. I'm not so sure. What do you think?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. He's said publicly that he wants, you know, around twenty million dollars a year. That the Nets just really don't have that cap space. They could create some of it probably, but that would take some roster gymnastics. And also, you know, like when healthy, the Nets could stagger James Harden and Kyrie Irving at point guard and have one of them run the second unit instead of a, an expensive off the bench guy like Spencer. You know, that we saw KD initiating offense in, in Game Five when he had his, his forty nine point triple double. So they, they have other guys that can do it. Spencer's been terrific for the Nets, but I, I think that for them to kind of use that money and, and do all the, that gymnastics to get him a deal like that when he still would have a crowded backcourt, I mean, he'd have Kyrie or Harden off the ball with him, which would be which would be good for him. But, you know, is that the best way they could be spending their money right now, given what we've been talking about with the, with the restrictions they kind of have and the limitations? You know, I, I don't know. So... I think if they were to be willing to take on, you know, or, or do a sign and trade for him, I think that it'd be an exp- it'd make their luxury bill and everything even more expensive, but it might be the best way for them to upgrade the roster. I have not had time to fully dive into what sign and trade stuff would look like for that, but I, I definitely think that that's a possibility they could take, albeit an expensive one. So maybe they offer him something, but I just think there's other teams there that have more money and, and you know, more of a, of a bigger role for him than he would have in Brooklyn.
0: My final question for you, Alex Schiffer, who writes beautifully for The Athletic in NYC, and I I do follow your work on The Athletic. You're great at, at it, and I'm so happy to have you on. Give me three, three names of potential players to join this team where you would say, Yes, they
4: nailed this offseason. I mentioned David Nawab as a potential 3-and-D guy. P.J. Tucker, I think, is going to be a very interesting one because he is a free agent this summer. Obviously, he just got traded to the Bucks. They added him, essentially, for, you know, he did his job. Essentially, they, they traded for him to guard a guy like Kevin Durant. And, and he did just that. If Milwaukee wins the whole thing, it kind of goes back to that whole Jeff Green, Blake Griffin conversation. Does he, he's in his late 30s. He's at the tail end of his career. I mean, does he... Stay with Milwaukee to run it back, or does he go elsewhere? You know, Kevin Durant, Nets assistant Roy Alivey are both uh, University of Texas alums, so that you know they will have like PJ, so they will have they will be in his ear for sure. And again, I think that he'd be a guy maybe that takes a cheaper deal for another shot at a ring. And, and you know, if Mike D'Antoni were to stay in Houston or were to stay in, um, he coached PJ in Houston. If he were to stay in Brooklyn, obviously him and James Harden they were all together in Houston, so that gives that gives more more chops. And number three would be. Uh, Rudy Gay, he's been interesting in that, you know, before this season, he had an Achilles tear years ago, just like Kevin Durant. And there was a study done. I forget the doctor who did it, but Rudy Gay actually in this study came out to be one of the players that have had some of their best basketball after an Achilles tear, which obviously is rare. And, and Kevin Durant's obviously looking like another example of. But, you know, obviously the Nets have a ton of San Antonio Spurs ties in their front office with Sean Marks being a, a great Popovich disciple. And You know, he's another guy that's given them good minutes, could be a good off the bench guy, kind of like a Blake Griffin or Jeff Green type role. If one of those guys leave, he's at the end of his career. He hasn't won a title and hasn't really had a great shot. You He spent a lot of time in Memphis, Sacramento. The Spurs have kind of been slowly declining in his time there. So, you know, those are three guys that if, if there is some attrition with with some of the forwards like Blake Griffin and, and Jeff Green, that maybe they can be some some of those veteran guys that want to get one last shot at going for a ring and, uh, and also come with some sort of discount.
0: Well, Alex, I appreciate the time tonight, and thanks for uh, taking the time out to join us. Sports Radio, 101.9 FM. The Fan. Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan. It is 4.04 a.m. on this, what will be, I think, a beautiful Sunday. Garrett Cole's on the bump for the Yankees today. Marcus Stroman takes the ball for the Mets. Listen, uh, if there's a must-win game in the month of June and on the date of June 27th for the Yankees, it's this one. Because if, if Garrett Cole can't muscle the Yankees to a victory, that means that the Red Sox will have swept the Yankees in two of two series this year and in six consecutive games, handing the Yankees a loss. Now, we talked right in the beginning of the season about how you know'm I'm, I'm a little bit concerned a little worried that all of these high pressure must win games for Garrett Cole might might take a toll on him uh, you know just mentally because there's not much help behind him in in the in the in the rotation and not to mention the fact that Gary Sanchez he doesn't like him behind the plate and if I were Garrett Cole how do I say this? Um, if I were conducting my own orchestra, I would make sure that I put all of the the pieces and the players in to make it work for me. And that's what he's doing. Kyle Higashioka is his personal catcher. And let's not forget that Kluber, Corey Kluber, in his two or three, I don't remember how many, but two or three games leading up to that no-hitter, and including the no-hitter, guess who caught it? Kyle Higashioka. Now, we had a caller before who says, and then the the discussion kind of evolved into, okay, Sanchez is on a hot streak. Do you keep him? Do you trade him? I am in the camp of, under certain conditions, you trade him. You're not trading him for any sort of prospect. He's, He's a starting catcher on probably all MLB teams. You're getting a really good haul back for him. And if it doesn't happen, then no deal but I will absolutely pick up the phone if someone's inquiring me about Gary Sanchez. We had a very adamant caller before about um, Gary Sanchez and, and, and sticking up for him. And he referenced, and I couldn't find it before the, the Alex Schiffer interview. I hope you guys enjoyed that, by the way. Nets fans, that's for you. Um, I couldn't find it fast enough, but I found it on the commercial right after that. Regular season stats so far. The caller made a point, or tried to make the point, of, well, Gary Sanchez is really good at throwing people out. Okay. Regular season stats so far, Gary Sanchez caught stealing two base runners. That's a percentage of, you know, .100. Think of it like a batting average, .100, right? I know that's not a percent, but you know what I mean. And then Kyle Higashioka, well, not much better, but he has caught three base runners stealing for a percentage of, you know, an average of 176. So who's more effective behind the plate? You've got two of your five (laughs) pitching rotation dudes opting for the other catcher. And my question is, Kluber and Cole, they've got a lot of say, right? They've got a lot of clout, right? If you're Jordan Montgomery, do you have the clout to say, hey, Aaron Boone, I don't want Gary Sanchez or Zach Britton? For example, hey, Aaron Boone, I know I'm a reliever, but when I come in, I'd rather not pitch to Gary Sanchez. Like, these guys don't have the clout to say that. And I wonder, of the remaining starting pitchers, how many of them actually feel completely comfortable with Gary Sanchez behind the plate. And when you think about that, that little insidious thought there, and you think about that, you think about his offensive, you weigh his offensive production versus... That you know, I'm not. I'm not sure that Gary Sanchez is a keeper at that point. I think the Yankees have a lot bigger holes than than catching. And even with, I like I said before, it might be addition by subtraction. You, you're not moving Sanchez. I mean, you're not moving um, Stanton because of his contract and this feast or famine, all or nothing guys. Gary Sanchez is one of them. It'd be uh, addition by subtraction because you'd be moving that sort of bat, that type of bat, out of the lineup. I would do it. I would sell him only for the right package. Let's go to phones. Let's see what you guys think. 877-337-6666. Ben in Queens, you're up next on The Fan.
12: Morning, Coach. What's as, up, Ben? As I showed you on Twitter, we have a lot to talk about, but let's get rid of the elephants in the room. Firstly, congratulations to the Canadians. Congratulations to the Lightning now let's make this a Stanley Cup to remember. Simply put, with the Islanders, just just smothered them. Yeah. Again, frustrated them. Yep. And 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 here's the thing: the Lightning went from blowing you out a zip to just grinding you in with that that one zip win. Go like you can't win. You can't win. Yeah. Oh, oh, they're flying around. Okay, we're going to just act like a stone right here in the middle of the ice. We we can't get around them and then in your frustration, they goes to go.
0: Yep. Uh, I know. It was frustrating. It it wasn't even like an exciting game. There weren't many fights. It wasn't very physical. It was just kind of eh.
12: Well, it was clinical. Clinical for them.
0: No but- f- physical, physical.
12: Oh physical gotcha yeah. but but, but, look, look, I asked a friend who went crazy, went to I this watch party, and stuff like that. I'm working, so i'm I'm only listening to the game off of my iPhone, and I'm just like through the radio, it sounded like they never really had a chance,
1: mm-hmm.
12: and it was one zip, and you never really had a chance, speaking of which. Austria today versus Italy.
0: Hey, yeah, I just wrote that down on the commercial break. It came up on the TV. Um,
12: The Italians better consider themselves very, very lucky.
0: Fortunati.
12: Uh, Yeah, yep, yep. (laughs) Two extra steps. If that first goal goes in, then then, then, we're talking penalty shots, too, though. That's how close. They played this to the vets. This is a team they need to blow out comfortably. And, of course, in true Italian fashion when it comes to these tournaments, they gave everyone their supporters a heart attack real fast. Um,
0: hey, and one, more, one thing here. I tweeted, it. I don't even know, last week, week and a half ago, that they had not yet allowed a goal back then. Yeah. They gave up their first goal. It was like 19 hours or something. The headline said, after more than 19 hours, Italy conceded a goal. Yep, and uh, that
12: that just goes to show their their their, uh, their their strength when it comes to this. All right, so now let's let's talk big elephant in the room, folks. Everybody's focusing on Sanchez and Kyle, and I'm like, this is Nathan Ivaldi. Okay, I know he's a good pitcher, but did the Yanks need to make him look like Babe Ruth today? Is is that is that where our offense is?
0: Well, I, maybe I would go Greg Maddox <laughs> there in oh. that comp instead.
12: Oh, I'm, I'm just listening, and I'm I'm hearing Sterling go wild swing outside the zone. I'm like wild swing outside the. This is Native Aldi. What are you chasing? Mm. What are we doing here? You know, like Taylor told me, What the hell are we doing? Yeah, yeah, like that. And and finally, what, and, those-
0: Ben. What happened to savages in the box? Right.
12: Well, hey, DJ was the savage in the last two innings because he got the home run and drove in the last run.
0: Yeah.
13: That was it.
12: Four but, hits. But, Four hits for
0: him
13: tonight
1: or Saturday but, night.
12: But but uh, go back to last week where we talked about who is, who is tradable. And I went judge, and some folks were a little upset that I went judge. Today you saw judge isn't going to bring you that championship on his own.
8: Point, point
12: counterpoint, whatever, argue with your mom. He ain't getting it on his own. Stanton isn't reliable, but yet, but yet, every time we do this, it comes back on Sanchez. And I just start laughing. I'm like, you know what? Cole is the starting pitcher. He's your star pitcher. Mm-hmm. Whoever he wants behind the plate, suck it up, move on. Yeah. Gar- Gary Sanchez needs to understand that. All right? And, and. Phew, And that brings me to the last point. So, Danielle, when was the last time UConn won a title?
0: UConn women?
12: UConn women's basketball. I don't know. Okay. So, when we picked these U.S. teams, and special thanks to, I believe it was Deborah Peters, who did the the article on behalf of, oh, on the clay, a goddamn, like, Uh, Oh, Gumuwale. Yes. Yes. Okay. The fact she was not on this team, but but Diana Tarazi, who is quite injured, is is kind of a joke to me. Right? Mm -hmm. You could have Tarazi on the team as an alternate riding with the team in case of but this is the league MVP. She her eliminated UConn twice in a row in the tournament, mm-hmm. okay? The UConn bias here, I, I, I had, when, when I first, saw, and this is why I sent it to you, I had to stop to think about it for a while. And then I was like, you know what? They haven't won in five or six years, yet the U.S. team is made up of half UConn players. Hmm. So I'm like, huh. okay, and I know who the coach of Team USA is, I go like, okay, but he isn't the coach this year. It's Dawn Staley. It is, yes. So so you took it totally out of her hands when she has that dynamite uh, South Carolina squad to at least make a heritage team, in other words, with a bunch of UConn players. Like, something ain't right about that. Something's a little fishy. Uh, And and this one time where the men's process is a little bit open, although I, I say that that's fishy too, but we've never stopped to think. Okay, how do the women actually choose this team? You know, let's be honest, because it's been it's been UConn dominated, but UConn hasn't been dominating. Hmm. I, I, you know how funny the, those words come out of my mouth. <laughs> say, feel right now. UConn hasn't been dominated, but if you look at their last six NCAA tournaments. Okay, Gino's great, but uh, doesn't give him the right to, to have seven UConn players on this team. Coach, just food for thought. I can't wait for the, 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 the mysteries to unfold over the next couple of days because USA US basketball has taken the shelter position on this, but. It, it's it's taken it's taken up a large chunk of their news cycle. Usually now hmm. it's celebration, but yeah. everybody's like
0: a lot of question marks,
12: exactly a lot of criticism. Yeah, but
0: coach, thank you for the time. Enjoy your night. Yeah, Ben, thanks for that. Um, you know, I, I think the one, one the one point I wanted to make was that UConn might not be as dominant as it has been. I think because many other programs have caught up. I mean, I look at the University of Notre Dame. I look at I mean, University of South Carolina. Those are all programs that have caught up to UConn. So I think I think it's it's partly that. I don't know. Well, you guys know at four forty, I have uh, my brand new homegrown Olympics segment coming up, and let me tell you something. It's been a lot of work behind the scenes to. Uh, to be in contact with some of these Olympic teams, which obviously, you know, it's a national, international team, right? And it's a very, I have a very fine and narrow focus of, of which sort of player I'm looking for. So obviously Todd Frazier fits the bill, homegrown talent, New Jersey, playing on USA Baseball. Um, I will say that I have reached out to USA Basketball and the team the WNBA team of a certain player that is on the roster for participation in this particular segment on my show in the coming weeks. So knowing what you know about the segment, you could probably figure out who it is. I've reached out to that person, and we'll see what happens. Um, I initially got a really good response back, and then I'm not so sure. So fingers crossed. We will see. But for this week, tonight, in about 20 minutes, I've got Todd Frazier. And then I don't know if I want to leave you on to what I'm going to do next week, who I'm going to have next week. We'll see. But uh, I did reach out to USA Basketball, the, both the men's and the women's, for some home gr- homegrown hometown talent on both of those teams. So we shall see. We shall see what happens. Let's go back to the phones 877 337 6666. Dave in Comac, New York. You're up hey, on the how fan. Are What's up, Dave? Let's
14: see. I think you said the Islanders would get past Boston. And I think I said that uh, that Tampa. I think they had to win the first two games, and in this case, the Islanders turned out that they wouldn't lost this this series in Game Five because if they would have, they won Game Six, they would have won Game Five. They would have been out of the series and uh, playing for the Stanley Cup.
0: I agree with you. Yes, uh,
14: and what I also noticed is. In the, gay, the the one goal that they gave up on uh, uh, last night? Yeah.
0: now Two, I lost track two, two nights ago, it, it was a Friday night's game.
14: Right, that's right. Last night, I went and looked at the highlights on YouTube
1: because mm-hmm.
14: I was in my car listening to it on the radio, and I was shocked they only that they didn't score any goals. And the one goal that they gave up for Lama is three feet out of the net again.
0: <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about that. Right,
14: of course. And then... <laughs> But you go back to game five where they gave up eight goals between the two goaltenders, mm-hmm. and uh, both of them were just bad goals. They were, like, you know, like not paying attention. to Somehow the puck found its way into the net. And I said to myself, you know, both of these goaltenders got to go. Get some draft picks. Get one good goaltender. Get rid of Barzell. Get some draft picks. Get three good scorers like what the Rangers have and one good goaltender. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's time to rebuild this team. This team has nothing.
0: The thing is, the problem is, whether it's a problem or a strength here, but it's like a team. They are a team. And there isn't one, like, glaring, definite need that you're going to have to plug. I mean, Anders Lee is going to be addition, right, when he comes back. I don't don't know if it's a complete rebuild, honestly. I really don't.
14: I think, well, they're going to lose a lot of players because of the expansion draft. Yeah. And so, like, you know... You might as well get something for Barzell because he's the only player, that's really a true scorer on this team. But maybe you get three, three good draft picks for him that are going to be true scorers, just like the Rangers have. And the Islanders overall be in better shape, but after after the expansion draft, and you got these, you know, I'm sure they have a couple expiring contracts. Where are they going to be? They got a bunch of old guys on this team that they traded for and gave up draft picks. They're nowhere. They're, the Rangers are in better shape than the Islanders right now.
0: I, I don't know. I don't know if I would. I wouldn't know if I would go that far. I, I think. I think they have a good core. That I think they should try to run it back one more time, and then <laughs> and then blow it up. That's what I think.
14: But the goaltending is is suspect, well, especially if you look at Game Five. For Game Five, that was it for me. I was like, both these goaltenders got to go.
0: Mm-hmm. Both of what? them, huh? Varlamov was excellent though in Game Seven. He really was, except for that one. But you know yeah, what, though, well, how many guys did how many guys did um, Yanni Gord get through to get to that position? I mean, where were the rest of them paying attention, coming right off the bench like that?
14: No, I understand that, but I think this all goes back to Game Five, where they let up eight goals, and you know. It's,
0: well, we had I, I, we, I, we had talked that that if it, this game went to if this series went to seven and went to Tampa Bay in seven. It was going to be really – it was going to be an uphill battle. I think you and I had talked about that. So I was hoping – If
14: it goes seven games, the Islanders are going to lose. Yeah. I said that with Boston. If it went seven games, they were going to lose.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, you know, they, they they, they have such an advantage. And, Dave, thanks for the call. They had such an advantage on home ice that if this game went to seven, which it did, I mean, Tampa Bay is very difficult to beat. Very difficult to beat on their home ice. And um, it just didn't work out. They were tied zero zero, leading into the second period tied zero zero. Matt Barzell was like, you know, he was like, "Wow, we kind of what do you say?" Um, being down one nothing going into the third. Okay, being down one nothing going into the third period in Game Seven of the Conference Finals. You'll take that. A credit to them, they locked us up pretty good in the third period and just couldn't find one on a couple good chances. I'm right there. Hopefully, or it's right there hopefully back here next year and I, I think I've listened to it a few times and I, I think he ended that quote with I'm sorry I think you guys can go back and listen to it but that's what I think I listened to it three or four times different volumes you know TV muted the whole thing but I think I think he said I'm sorry at the end of that um so we'll see I, I wouldn't blow it up quite yet I would make sure and I don't know I don't know if it's out yet who they're gonna pre- be protecting from the expansion draft for the Seattle Kraken. I'd be interested to see um, who they'd be protecting and who they would maybe allow to go. And then that can kind of dictate their off-season plans. So uh, I've been also messaging with Molly Walker to have her on. And at one of these, maybe next week we can, we can get her on and we can ask her a few off-season questions and, and all that. So she is the expert, clearly, on the Islanders. Uh, and we will defer to her on all of that knowledge, the off-season plans and cap space and expiring contracts and all that. We will, we will ask her. Um, but I've been trying to get her on for three weeks now. It just hasn't worked out. So Molly Walker, hopefully, for next week I can have on. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break here. And um, let me see. Let me see. What can we do? What can we do after this? Hmm. Um, Let's see. Oh, you know what? Speaking of the Islanders lightning, I think I'm just going to stop making bets with people that I know. I've lost yet another one with the Islander game, seven loss. I'm just so mad. Uh, I'll tell you why. That's coming up next. Welcome back to McCartan after midnight at 4:28 in the morning. We are just 12 minutes away from. Uh, I almost said. I almost said Todd uh, Clint Frazier. We are about 12 minutes away from Cl- uh, Todd Frazier of USA Baseball, New York Yankees, New York Mets, Rutgers Baseball, Tom's River, New Jersey. Have you heard? That's where he's from. He'll be joining us in about now 11 minutes from now. You know, although you and I, we we have never met. Um, I think. I think by now. You could probably have already figured out that I hate to lose, like, at anything. Um, remember the bet that I made with my Tampa Bay Lightning fan cousin in Florida? Well, to refresh your memory in case uh, in case you missed it, I know it's been a quite a long series, but if the Islanders had won, I owed him a pizza from the best place down there near their house in Sarasota. Actually, the owners are from, are from Hoboken. And if the Islanders had won, he owed me some, a few, Florida, na- Florida's natural orange juice cartons. Man, he, he talks a lot of crap, my cousin, but he can't take it. But he likes to give it out. Sounds a lot like someone else I know. <clears throat> me. But uh, I almost had to put him on Do Not Disturb on Friday night. I had enough. He was sending me memes, like, nonstop, incessant, like, all right, enough already. Okay. So... Saturday, I was all set to transfer him some money to go out and buy his family some pizza from the the owners from Hoboken, the whole thing. But he suggested that when I come down to visit, which is soon, that we all go out down there together to the place. Good idea. So is this kind of like a win for me too? Maybe? Potentially? I think so because I'm still getting good pizza out of it except I have to buy it. But it's better than any bad pizza because Florida doesn't really have good pizza. So I don't know. What do you guys think? 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Connor's behind the glass taking your calls. Doing a great job tonight. Let's go to Stuart in Brooklyn. You're up next on The Fan. Good morning, Coach. I'm good, Stuart. How are you? Uh,
15: very, uh, very disappointed about Uh-oh. Friday. Uh-oh. Not happy with that at all. I thought we had a chance of... Uh, going back to the glory days of the 1980s. <laughs> <laughs> not that we, nobody's going to ever match that.
0: Yeah, I don't think so, no.
15: And, and, uh, it's like uh, one nothing, and yet on a shorthanded goal. Oh my. oh, my God. After
0: not giving up a shorthanded goal all regular season.
15: Two. And, and the, worst, the worst case scenario, game seven. Oh, my God. Very disappointing. But uh, Danielle... Yeah. Uh, they are saying I'm hearing little rumors about a certain GM being dismissed by the end at the end of the year. Who? You know who I'm talking about, the right?
0: Cashman, really? Where, mm-hmm. where would you I hear that?
15: Heard, I heard there's some rumors going around that he might he has to he might be dismissed because they built this team the wrong way. You see what Mike Ford is doing with the Tampa Bay Rays?
0: Yes, I saw. We talked about it before. He's on a tear. He's, well, he's on the AAA team so far, but he'll be no, up he's,
15: soon. He's, but at least he's, he's, he's finding himself again. It's like, But he I, I, he would not make the difference on this team. They need some more left-handed hitting position players.
1: Well, That's well, Mike Ford is a
15: right
0: field, but Stuart, Mike Ford is a a left-handed bat. He's hitting three thirteen in AAA, five hits, five RBIs, four games
15: well he's he's doing well. I, I wish him best because you know what he he was a he was a nice guy, he was a, a nice fit for a while until he went to a terrible slump. And they felt that they had a need to to, to, to get rid of him. And we talked but about I when think, they
0: let him go. We talked about how he was going to blow up. I, we, didn't we say it? We said, "Watch." Yeah, we He's,
15: said it. So yep. I said you, you were right. You said, he was, and I said he was going to blow up too. Yep. He, he was going to get. He was bound to get mm-hmm.
0: yeah
15: okay, But the thing is, enough already. We, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I listened to Aaron Boone after the uh, game, after every loss. I said I could replay the, I could replay his press conference. For, yep. 2018 or 2019 or whatever, it's the same thing over and over again. And Cashman, Cashman has to take some responsibility for this team. He has to take the responsibility. He didn't get left-handed bats. He didn't get enough... uh,
0: Starting pitching.
15: Starting pitching, yes. And uh, all of a sudden, Harmon can't uh, can't do any, can't get anybody out. Or he's given up runs at, a, at a, a very alarming rate, four runs in four innings or whatever. Mm-hmm. He gave up the, on Friday. And it's like, other than Cole, who do you have? And Cole is not even – Cole has been figuring it out now that he can't use that stuff, the tacky stuff that mm-hmm. he was using. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's just say this much. Jake don't have. Jake doesn't have to use anything. He's just flat out good. The, the the man just knows how to. He knows how to pitch, and you could see it early on. Even when he came up, when he won the fourteen games, yeah. I forgot whether it was first or second year. He was fourteen or nine. You well, you could Jacob- see that he had smarts about him. He went about it the right way, and he's uh, he's 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 brilliant. Yeah. He's, beyond, he's beyond brilliant. He's getting there to where he's going to... He would, He could qualify for the Hall of Fame, but I don't know whether they're going to look at wins or whatever. You know, they, uh, they put people in whatever. But if they're going to put people in, they should put him in.
10: I think he's very good. I think he's
15: great. But, uh, you know, as far as the other person I mentioned to you a couple of weeks back, he's not there yet. So...
0: Stuart, you bring up an interesting point. I want to go back to one of the first things you said, Brian Cashman. Um, I don't know, you know, obviously, but theoretically speaking, if there are rumors going around already that he might not be back in New York next year with the New York Yankees, I should say, then I'm wondering how incentivized he is to, to make any really great deals at the at the trade deadline to better the Yankees. Because if he's not going to be back to the Yankees, then why would he want to make this team better? So that's, I guess, I don't know, I guess that's like the the conversation you always have to have, um, the thought process you always have to have with with an outgoing GM. I mean, the Yankees haven't had that conversation in a really long time and and that thought process in a really long time. But um, I just, we talked about it preseason. The construction of this team is just absolutely abominable for sure. Let's go to Eric in Ronkonkoma. You're up next on The Fan.
16: Hey, Danielle. Good morning. How you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you?
16: Uh, well, I've been better. I'll talk about the Islanders in a second. The only thing I'll say about what, what uh, Stuart was just saying about uh, Cashman, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's been there forever. I mean, you know, the, the owners love him. You know, he, he, you know that. It, 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 it would take an epic collapse. I mean, they, they'd have to finish in last in that division below Baltimore for them to get rid of him. So, I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. Anyway, Okay. Um, so I just heard what you were saying a few minutes ago about this bet you had with your cousin. Okay? Yes. Yeah. And I seem to remember your prediction for the finals, uh, you know, for the <laughs> NHL, yeah. you know, which which was an exact flip yep. of what we have. Yep. Okay. So now, now I'm hearing that you might actually end up being, you know, first of all, pizza for orange juice is not a good, you know, not an equal split anyway. <laughs> it, it, you know, you're not drinking orange juice because you enjoy it. You know, people – Love eating pizza. Okay. So I know. So right, we were just right going there, right. for like
0: the the Florida connection. We didn't know exactly
1: how to incorporate okay. that.
16: Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that is, you know, I'll be honest with you, that's a strange one, but okay. <laughs> you know, but
1: Florida.
16: And now you may be going down there to enjoy this pizza. So I, all right, I, get, I, I got to take it a task on this. Okay. It,
0: it's not so, a total uh, L. So
16: if what, what's that?
0: It's not a total L. Well,
16: okay. I, I I got you, but uh, you know I, I may just have to you know take you out to the miniature golf or on the bowling alley because I know you're and you know, how competitive you are and you don't like to lose, so we we, we may have to throw a little stress your way there. Yeah, I no, don't just, know about just, that. Uh, you know, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay, look, I was at Game Six. All right. I mean, the place was nuts. I mean, you know, and, and we were down two nothing halfway through that second period. Uh, you know, and then everybody scored, you know, quickly scored the uh, the first goal for mm-hmm. their side. Uh, and and the place just went, you know, from that point on, the place was nuts. So, I mean, to to lose the way, I mean, I, I, I'm okay with them losing, okay, in general, but not the way they lost. I mean, to give up a shorthanded goal. Yeah. I mean, I'm watching that game and I see him come out and they're on the power play mm-hmm. and he gives up the goal with, with, what I think my cat could have blocked that shot. Quite honestly, yeah. You know, and and I slammed the remote down. And my friend texted me, and she's like, "Oh, you know, the, it was a lucky shot. We got plenty of time." And I wrote back, I said, "Are you watching the same game I'm watching? <laughs> we just lost
0: the game." Yep. Guess oh. what? So I texted I, my cousin. I said, uh, "If Tampa Bay scores again, this game is over." That's what I texted him. About the same time.
16: It didn't. It didn't even have to be. I knew right from that point because again, I'm watching them come out, and, and I figured. The fact that you know Tampa didn't score in the first period was a win for the Islanders. You know, mm-hmm. just just in the fact that you know they they got through it without letting up the goal, and you know, and I'm like, okay, that that's good. No no scoring in the first period right. from Tampa. You know, and, I mean, they were flying all over the place, and I'm like, okay, we we got a shot now. And then once they scored that, you know, and, and then for that to be the only goal in the game made it even worse. And and so I was just I was so aggravated. You know, especially with the, with the way uh, Game Six ended. Uh, you know, I, I'm just glad we were able to close out the barn with with you know with, with it not being a loss, right? So and uh, and then when you think about it, I mean, it, you know, to, to lose to this team in the semifinals twice in in, in a nine month period, basically, it's not even a full year because right. of how late uh, last year ran with the the stoppage and all that. I mean, mm-hmm. it just makes it you know even that much worse too. So I just. I, I guess i got a roof for Montreal now. I do not want Tampa winning again. So, <laughs> oh, my cousin they, might... They, they're just so unlikable.
0: But, I know. Uh, I know. My cousin might fight you on that, though. I don't even think I'm going to watch uh, it. Yeah, you I don't, know what? I'm, 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 I'm up
16: for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look, Danielle, I lost my voice the other day from all the screaming I did, I and mean, which just so rare anyway. And, you know, just... but. I just, I'm sorry, I don't like the way, I mean, they're fiddling around with the with the salary cap down yeah, there. Yeah, I know. You know, with Kucherov and everything, they are not a likable team. I don't, you know, and I'm not just saying that because we lost them. You know, they're playing games. I mean, they're lifting other players' sticks, you know, so that they can smack themselves in the head and draw penalties. I mean, come on. I mean, let's let, let. yeah it's a lot of garbage so i mean uh i'm going to end it with that because i'm going to start getting to the point where they're going to censor me. so oh
1: no anyway (laughs) uh,
16: all right danielle look uh, i i had my grievances on there so uh, we'll go with that but uh yeah well we'll we'll have to question some of these predictions going forward so all right right, you have a great day and (laughs) i'll talk to you soon (laughs) all right eric
0: we'll talk next week thanks for the call there um you know the one thing was that 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 something that held true mostly throughout that series was that the team that scored first most of the time ended up winning the game. The team that scored first in the Islander-Lightning series was 5-1, and, and after that, now 6-1. So, you know, with nine minutes left, the chance of sending them home broke out at Amelie Arena. Yeah, it was this game. It, it was—the Islanders were, were were very lifeless, I think, um, and, and lack the fight and the desire and, 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 and whatnot to win that game, especially after that first goal went in. So up next, my brand new Olympic homegrown segment featuring Todd Fraser coming up next on The Fan. Homegrown. We are joined by a perfect guest to kick off this homegrown Olympian segment. He's from Tom's River. You might have heard of him. Todd Fraser. welcome to the show.
9: Thank you very much. Nice to see you again.
0: You too. So, so Todd from Tom's River to Rutgers, then stops with the hometown Yankees and Mets to Todd, the Olympian. If you were to title a movie or a book based on your life, what would you call it?
9: Oh man. I, that's a really good question. I think I would call it the unplanned, but unbelievable. I guess you could say, because I didn't really plan for this. I was excited to play baseball in my career. But it worked out well. So for me, very blessed and uh, very fortunate to uh, play this wonderful game and have a lot of opportunities to do it.
0: When did the Olympics, when did that dream really start for you?
9: I really didn't. I watched the Olympics. I never really thought I'd be in one <laughs> just because baseball really wasn't a sport for the last, you know, some odd years. I don't know exactly. But uh, Paul Siler, the head CEO of uh, USA Baseball, a good friend of mine, I've played in USA Baseball three times now. And he said, "Listen, we want you." And I said, "Hey, I'm there. If, you know, if the circumstances are good, I- I'm there." You know, that was basically if I'm only on a major league team. So, it worked out perfect. I got released by the Pirates uh, a week before I headed to Florida to go play for USA and practice. And lo and behold, we're going to Tokyo. So uh, exciting times coming up here in the next three weeks, four weeks. So
0: we got Team USA manager Mike Sosha is calling you the keystone of this team. How does that feel?
9: That feels pretty darn good to be honest. Which uh, I respect him a lot. I, I, I've always uh, admired him from afar. Hearing that is unbelievable. You know, I try and be a leader. You know, to get guys together for uh, you know a week or two or two weeks. I think we had maybe, yeah. and we became the best, <clears throat> pretty much the best of friends now, and uh, a good little fraternity we got. So I'm just trying to lead. I'm trying to help these young kids out, and uh, fortunate enough, I, I did a pretty good job. Even with the jersey theme
0: here, you're playing with the Sussex County Miners. We're That's where you and I originally connected. How has that allowed you to stay in game shape? Because there is a difference between shape and game shape.
9: Yeah, without a doubt. And the main thing was I didn't care how I hit. You know, I knew I was going to hit the ball hard and do some things. But yeah. I want to I keep my legs under them. And I, I think that's the biggest thing. It takes me, you know, a couple of weeks if I'm not playing nine innings, three and a half hours on my feet. It, it takes a little while to get back going again. So for me, it was just standing, uh getting, you know, Long innings, I wanted to get the feel, of you know, my legs bother me again and uh, see how I did through nine innings. And that's basically it. And I want to help them out too as well. It's a really nice uh, independent team um, and uh, they do a good job.
0: The year postponement of the Olympics, did that influence your decision to play in any way?
9: Uh, No, not really. Not really. There was a lot of postponements, uh, you know, with COVID and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I I think of guys like Ernie Young, who's an assistant coach or hitting coach, uh, jerry weinstein you know who, who's been around the block too these guys they want to get back there too i know ernie won it in 2000 but you know it's been 21 years now so uh ironic enough my favorite number i wear 21 so maybe uh, the cards are in line uh, to uh, help us out here
0: i know you beat japan in the little league world series with some super heroics what are you expecting from the host country itself going to japan have you ever been there before
9: no, I've never been there, um, but excited to go. I know we're going to be in that Olympic Village, that bubble. So for us, uh, you know, it's business as usual. We're going to have five or six days of practice there. <clears throat> I think we're one of the last events. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we know what we came there to do. We know they have some of the best to play the game right now. They're stopping their major league season so they can get the best 24 players. I think it's 24-man roster. And you know what? We're going to put our best foot forward. And I heard Masahiro Tanaka, an ex-Yankee I played with, he said, we will win gold in bold. And I said, okay, mm-hmm. another chip on her shoulder. And, um, you know, I'm going to take that. I'm not going to take that lightly. So uh, I'll give him a hug after the game, after we beat him. So,
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's another interesting point too, because like the USA basketball season had just pretty much almost ended. So by not having, you know, major league players on the roster, do you think that, I mean, obviously that's a challenge to overcome, but I don't know. What do you think about that?
9: Yeah, it, it's different. It's different. You know, they wouldn't do that here in MLB. Yeah. You know how it is with Major League Baseball when there's money around, they uh, they got to they got to make it. So, but you know, you, you just see the differences. The the pride that Japan takes. You know, taste. Hey, let's go. We want to bring the gold. It's more important. They're trying to. You know, hopefully uh, we take that from them. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's different. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm excited because I get to play in it and I get to help the United States. Uh, you know, bring back a medal for sure.
0: So baseball and softball, I'm a coach, were dropped from the Olympics, and both are back in these games. So the impact, I guess, on the kids seeing baseball and seeing softball in the Olympics, what is it?
9: dreams. They got more to dream about, Uh, more inspiration, uh, pride to see the excitement. You're going to see these guys and girls, you know, just, you know, older. I'm 35, and I'm going to be acting like I'm back in, you know, sixth grade again. I did it the last five games. You can't take a pitch off. Uh, because you'll be down 3 nothing, and the next thing you know, you're backpedaling. So yeah. it's going to be exciting times, and for these young kids, hopefully, to get to watch and learn and and see the excitement of Game 7 every day and uh, the pride that you play for your country.
0: But Game 7, the best two words in, in all of sports, I have to say.
9: Very true, very true.
0: Are there any differences between the American
9: great game and the internationally accepted game? You know, the baseball's different. I, I think that's one thing different. It's a little slicker, a little softer. They're very precise about what they do. They're very, um, you know, practices are, are always the, the way. It has to be perfect. I remember when I was playing in Little League, we were doing home run derbies before our final game of the World Series. And they're <laughs> over there like clockwork. One guy go this way, this way, this way. And then they would just yell and scream and if they did one thing wrong. And, you know, and I, I love that about them, and I love that about what we did. You know, we were like the – Bad news bears over there, and they were this like this well oiled machine.
1: Yeah.
9: <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's what they want out of their guys. And I loved everything about that. I think there's a time and place for that for sure, but also um, have some fun times too as well.
0: We're talking with Team USA's Todd Fraser here on the fan. Um, I happen to notice two things that you retweeted, and you just sort of mentioned the, the slicker baseballs. Um, I know we could talk forever about it, but I had a sure. solution. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> baseball MLB owns Rawlings why don't they just produce you know with pitcher batter input like maybe three or four or five different baseballs with different consistencies different stickiness to them and then the pitcher can choose whichever one whenever and if they get caught with anything bam what do you think
9: I think that's a good idea I I don't see that being a bad idea you know, there's got to be some solution towards. I mean, that's why I said the balls that these Japanese are using. Yeah. There's, they got some. It's not sticky stuff, but you can feel the softness of it. It's not as dry, yeah. and um, yeah, I, I would. I think that's a great idea. And, yeah, if and if you want to be a pitcher, go to the meetings and figure out which ball you want to use.
0: Right. All right. Todd, I think I think we're onto something. Let's make a phone call, Todd.
9: Let's go. Let's do.
0: So we've kind of established a solution um, from my end, but I guess. You know it, it, the game of baseball is 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 slow. So when you watch these pitchers come off the mound, I mean, it started with Jacob Degrom incredulous, and, and then it became uh, what was it, it's Romo dropping his pants in the middle of the field. I mean, I, I just what are what are your thoughts on it?
9: I mean, first off, I Jacob Degrom is probably one of the only guys I've I've played with that I've never seen use anything, and that's just phenomenal to even think of how how overpowering he is. Yeah. just by picking up a baseball and throwing it which everybody should be doing but unfortunately a lot of guys don't um yeah i i, I just think it's in the wrong direction i think uh, rob manfred and his office and his cronies over there are are barking up the wrong tree i mean it's it's something that's been going on forever you know does it? some of it help spin right yeah we got to get some of it off uh you know the pine tar or whatever uh the sunscreen and all that kind of stuff that guys some 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 guys use and some guys don't but you know like I said, there's got to be a solution. You know, to ask them two times in a game is is kind of tough. It's tough to watch. I think it's, you know, people are are buzzing about it. Don't get me wrong. If they want a buzz, they got one. So, which is unfortunate. Some guys are taking it to heart. Some guys are like, all right, whatever. Take a look. But there's got to be that happy medium where they figure this out because this collective bargaining agreement's coming up, and this is something that's not going to help for sure uh, when we're going in agreements.
0: In the batter's box, and this is something I wonder myself. I don't know the answer to it. Maybe you can help me. Would you rather face a pitcher? Let's think as Chapman, 1st let's just yeah. say. Uh, would you rather face a pitcher using it or not using it?
9: Well, it's their preference. If they feel comfortable, yeah, that's fine. But if they've been using it the whole time, yeah, I'd rather them be using a little bit of it, to be honest. Uh, yeah. more. Accurate. I mean, I've, I've always hit a fastball. So, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's coming 88 or 105, I'm going to hit it. Uh, you know no cockiness about it but um you know they'll be more accurate you won't see as many hit by pitches and uh you know no no erratic so um yeah i i think i'd rather them be using it
0: yeah i think so too i think that would be my answer because that's dangerous when you get it a fastball it slips up and in that's
9: especially how these guys are throwing nowadays 95 plus everybody yes uh, oof it was tough
0: yes so uh, you mentioned the home run derby too. Well, playing home run derby as a little leaguer, you won it in 2015, lost to Giancarlo Stanton the following year in the finals. Mentor to mentee to defend his title, what would you give advice to uh, returning champ Pete Alonso?
9: I would say the same thing to him. Drink as many fluids as possible. Uh, Pedialyte. Write stuff in between every um, you know every time you go out there. He's huh. got a really there's guys like Shohei Ohtani who's going to put on a show. Don't get me wrong, his batting practice is unbelievable. Okay. Don't worry about the numbers. Stay within yourself, and you'll, you're you're going to be just fine. And I, I'll talk to him again before he goes on because I'm excited for him, and I'll be for him for sure.
0: Pedialyte, huh?
9: Yes. All I I, I must add four bottles uh, within uh, the the span of um, my home run derby for sure.
0: Oh, what and those are big, the big ones you're talking.
9: The big big <laughs> ones. four. Yeah. Oh man, Crush them. And something something light, like some crackers or, you know, the toast or you know, snack. Something 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 real light, banana, something like that.
0: Interesting. I've never heard that. All right. So maybe the other end of the spectrum, the Yankees, you know, as a player, what is the and I'm a coach too. So what is the psychology behind not being able to hit situationally when especially you have runners in scoring position?
9: Pressure. That's it. Pressure. It's it's something that, you know, some love and some guys like oh man i gotta do it. i gotta do it. instead of understanding what you're capable of doing knowing your role knowing you know all right let me let's not get out of my game just because there's runners on mm-hmm. uh you know situational hitter is so hard because you want to do so well and all of a sudden you get geared up next thing you know your hands are tight your brain's going one way uh you're worried about four or five different pitches instead it's like oh man i just got to hit off this guy relax take a deep breath even take a pitch you know take a pitch even if it's the best pitch you're gonna see Take a pitch, get your timing right. You know what? All right, so what? He's got to throw me two more strikes. You know, that kind of stuff. That sounds like uh,
0: a message for the Yankees. Please. Can they please e- keep going?
9: E- easier said than done, though, for sure.
0: I right, for sure. I know that. Uh, Team USA's Todd Frazier joins us here on the fan. You know, um, Team USA baseball has only made the Olympics four times, winning the gold <laughs> 21 years ago in 2000. Um, I saw two quotes from you. One said, um it said to finish my career maybe winning the gold medal would be the best icing on the cake but you also said something short of gold would be disappointing so what is the expectation
9: yeah a little bit of both i i think we have the team that can win gold that's why i said it would be a little disappointing Mm -hmm. we got guys that have been there before and younger guys that are going to be really exciting to watch in the future so i think it's a really good mix and i think that's you know that's the goal at hand and um You know, and the icing on the cake. And if I don't ever play Major League Baseball again, bringing home a gold medal would be the coolest thing in the world. And I don't think many people can say that, to be honest with you. You know,
0: I was going to ask, is this the last we're going to see of Todd Frazier on a
9: diamond? I hope not. I hope not. I'm hoping to help the team in a playoff push after this. That'd be great. So put up another good performance and maybe a scout or two uh, can get me back going into Major League Baseball. I need 90, I think around 90 days to to get my 10 years. So it would be pretty nice.
0: Well, who's counting? (laughs) uh,
9: exactly. Me and myself.
0: Um, Who who are you? When you put on the the USA jersey, you know your name's on the back. But who are you playing the games for?
9: Yeah, I mean, besides my country and um, you know Mm -hmm. myself, I I, it would be my family because and my friends here because I have a good backbone of people that support me all through uh, the tri-state area. Ever since I was a young kid, you know, my high school coaches, my college coaches, uh, my neighbors, um, you know, you you name it. The, the guy that I help at the grocery store. I mean, every time I see these people, they always tell me how proud they are of me, how excited they are for me. And they're like, keep going because we love watching. Like every every time we have something to do after dinner and watch you play baseball, yeah. um, you, you help me with my life. And I, you know what? I really appreciate that over a, a silly game of baseball, you know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I see that you're into uh, um, this cleat designs. Are you going to do a little ode to
9: New Jersey somewhere on the cleats? I, I I have my guy, Dave Majewitz, doing it right now. I can't really tell you right now. It'll be up on Instagram before game one. No worries. Uh, But, yeah, we have some uh, USA stuff in store for sure.
0: Well, Todd, I just want to wish the best of luck to you, to Team USA. We will be rooting hard here from, uh, from New Jersey, New York, and, and this general area. So I appreciate you taking the time.
9: Thank you. Always a pleasure talking to you.
0: Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Todd Fraser. what a great guest. What an awesome guy. And of course, the first.
1: Danielle FM. The Fan. W-F-A-N.
0: Welcome back to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan in New York City. And looking out the window here, the curtains are up. It is now daybreak. We have reached daybreak in New York City. And you know what that means? That means this is the final hour of the show. This is the final Uh, 55 minutes for you guys to get aboard 877-337-6666 if you'd rather participate online at Coach MCCARTAN on Twitter Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan as well. There is a poll up I hope you guys enjoyed the the segment there with uh, Todd Frazier there's a poll up on my Twitter the question is do you guys want me to reveal who my next homegrown Olympian is for next weekend segment there are 9 minutes remaining it is locked up 50-50 50-50 split. So go ahead and get your vote in for that. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, I, I kicked the show off with uh, an ode to the Islanders enforcing the Tampa Bay Lightning to Game 7. Game 7, no matter what it is, where it is, who's playing in it, you know what you're going to get. Whatever sport it is. You know what to expect in a Game 7. And unfortunately for the Islanders, they, they kind of came up on the wrong side of it. Came out on the wrong side of it. They had not Given up a shorthanded goal throughout the entire regular season, not one. And Yanni Gord comes off the bench, slips behind, oh, look like four defenders, and uh, and netted the goal, the only goal of the game. And that's how it went. And it's not like the Islanders didn't have any chances. Oh, no, they did. There was a Anthony Beauvillier deflection. That that clanged off the, well, if you're looking at it, the right side, the right post. From the goalie's perspective, it was a left post. Looked like it had the angle and it just didn't go in. Matt Barzell had a bouncing puck in front of the net. Swung and miss. That would have been a goal if you saw the way um, Vasilevsky was uh, positioned. It would have gone in. And then the absolute barrage in the final two minutes and 23 seconds, I think it was, 23 seconds is when they uh, they yanked Varlamov. It was an absolute barrage on Vasilevsky. You thought one of them was had to have been going in. And unfortunately for the Islanders, none of them went in. And the Islanders, the gritty Islanders, were one win away from returning to the Stanley Cup finals. And uh, I looked up And the last time they were there was 1984. I was just curious because obviously you guys know I love music. I looked up the number one song on the Billboard charts in 1984. Just curious. Prince and the Revolution, When Doves Cry. And uh, if you saw in the the post-game press conferences, there were definitely some emotional, let's just put it that way, some emotional hockey players up at the stand there, up at the podium. Matt Barzell being one of them. Barry Trotz said that the pain that they're feeling right now is is undeniable. Um, Yeah, it's just a frustrating loss, just a sad loss on how it happened. The one goal, and and you guys know, I mean, game seven, results razor thin. Look at the Nets. They lost because Kevin Durant's big toe, or at least part of it, was touching the line, therefore rendering his shot to send the game into overtime a two-pointer rather than a three-pointer to win the game. So, it was just this, it was a seconds-long mental lapse. And that's what happened. That's how they lost. And that's how the season ended. But, I mean, what a send-off for the barn. Nassau Coliseum. It it, it saw, in this season alone, two series, I mean, uh, yeah, this season alone, two series clinching playoff wins, the Bruins and Penguins, and an overtime Game six win against the Lightning. I mean, the doors to the old barn will be closing in style. And I said to Islanders fans this morning, which means only one thing. It's time to christen the new UBS Arena with a unique housewarming gift, a Stanley Cup. And then the Mets, of course, were back in the New York groove. They rallied three times on Saturday, came from behind three times on Saturday at Citi Field, and they took the, they, they basically they won the series against the Phillies. They took two of three on Saturday in walk off fashion. And don't look now, but the Mets are eight games over five hundred, and they are four and a half games ahead of the Nationals for first place in the NL East. And man, when you look at how that game played out, bases loaded, things you always dreamt of, right, as a kid. Bottom of the ninth, Saturday night baseball. Base is loaded. Michael Conforto comes up the king of queens. And Billy McKinney scored from third base. He was a pinch hitter earlier. Got on base. Um, and and that's how it went down. It, it was just a, you know, honestly, it was just a nightmare uh, ninth inning for manager Joe Girardi because the leadoff pinch hitter, Travis Blankenhorn, reached on a booted ball by Reese Hoskins. And Kevin from Camden sent me an audio clip from our sister station, WIP, in uh, Philadelphia that Reese Hoskins wanted the media to focus on the good things that happened in the game rather than how it ended. Is he, is he kidding me? Is that a joke? That's a, that's a joke. And, and at Rick J. Brody tweeted me and he said, Hey, Coach McCartan, suggestion to the Phillies sports writers for a new column. Call it Reese's Pieces. All of the candy-coated stories from that day's game. So I said, I love it. Creative. And I tagged uh, John Marks, who's the uh, the... Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. He's been a guest on here before. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's a great—that's that's, that's, uh, very creative, I should say. So that's ridiculous, Reese Hoskins. You were the reason why they lost that game, ultimately, if you really want to get down to it. Your booting of the ball allowed Blankenhorn to get on base. He was the tying run. And then the very next pinch hitter, uh, the aforementioned McKinney, reached on a seven-pitch walk. And at the time, I wrote down in my notes— these types of base runners always end up scoring, and they did. They were the tying and the winning runs for the Mets. Final score, four to three. And there were twenty nine thousand two hundred five fans in attendance at City Field. And then the song I played—I can't believe I thought of the song. It was "Death by a Thousand Cuts" by Taylor Swift. It just came to me. I was like, "What a perfect song!" "Death by a Thousand Cuts." No, it was death by a 1,000 infield hits for the Yankees. That's the title I would give Saturday's game versus the Red Sox at Fenway. I mean, there was a point in the bottom of the third inning that the Red Sox had scored three runs on six hits. Four of them never left the infield. I mean, Bogarts, first Red Sox run, Bogarts hit a ball 12 feet. Devers walked on a 3-2 count. Jordan Montgomery got nailed in the ankle on a comebacker. And then Kike Hernandez hit a sack fly. So all kinds of... Things like this. But the one that bothers me most, I would say, is the second Red Sox run. It was scored on this lackadaisical effort by Luke Voigt. And I don't know if, if anybody was asked about that this particular play after the game, not from what I've seen. But Luke Voigt goes into foul territory to make a catch on a ball. Kind of basket, lays it at the end, spins around, right? Little does he know, or did he know the situation... That, that Raphael Devers was was standing on third base, tagging up, waiting for it. After Luke Voigt makes the catch, he takes, I counted, six steps before he sets his feet. Six. On the second step, number two, Devers was already breaking for home. By the time, you should have seen Luke's, Luke Voigt's face. He was like, oh, oh, it's like a literally, oh, I gotta throw the ball home now. Throws the ball home. He never had a chance. Devers was safe by a mile. That is like the epitome of, of, of of the characterization of this Yankees team, of this Aaron Boone-led Yankees team. The fact that, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn it around. We have enough talent on this team. You know what he said tonight? This is from uh, SNY here. It says, Aaron Boone says the start of the series has been very difficult. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> he said, uh, these games are big, and we're fighting our butts off right now. Things didn't go our way tonight, but we've got to continue to fight to make things happen. Oh, wait. Was that from last last night's game or was that from last week's game or two weeks ago's? It's the same can response. It's ridiculous. And and it, it's, it's just – it has rendered me speechless in a way because you thought that the Yankees had showed some semblance of life in the top of the eighth. Sawamora literally entered the game with two outs, Walked three consecutive batters. Judge on a 10-pitch at-bat. Sanchez and then Stanton. That was his three-batter minimum and he was out. Then Adovino versus Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt looked like he was trying to send the baseball to the moon, Alice. In Trudy Yankee form, grounded out the shortstop. Inning over, threat over. Game was virtually over at that point. And that was how the latest installment of the Yankees' Red Sox rivalry went. But really, is it really one? Because doesn't that rivalry mean that both teams need to be competitive? The Red Sox have beaten the New York Yankees all five times this season so far. The Yankees are 0-5 for 5 against the Red Sox this season. And then you look at, the Red Sox are above them in the stands. That's how they stand versus them. I went out and, and counted up. The Rays, right, are also above the Yankees. Yankees-Rays, Yankees are five and eight versus Tampa Bay this season. For a team that has their sights on setting the World Series or, or winning the World Series, that's a very lofty, unfathomable goal at this point in this juncture of the season, I'd say. Maybe they should set their sights much lower and try to win some of these divisional series, and then maybe we could talk about a, a divisional crown for the Yankees when it comes time. But you can't win a World Series if you can't output a winning record against two of the teams in your division. How's that binary code for you, Aaron Boone and company? The Yankees, ready for this? What do the Yankees, Orioles, and Tigers all have in common? They are, here's the answer, spoiler alert, they are the three in the AL, they are the three teams that scored the least amount of runs in the AL. Yankees, Orioles, and Tigers. Which one doesn't belong? Well, it's a trick question because the numbers are what they are. They all belong together. How's that sound? It's extremely frustrating. What can they do to fix it? I'm, I'm going to appeal to you guys. They've got an owner that is unwilling to exceed the luxury tax. They've got a general manager on thin ice who has not won a World Series since 2009 with a team, by the way, assembled mostly by Gene Stick Michael. Think about it. Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera. Th- those weren't Cashman guys, you guys. And a manager who just still is seeing the world through rose-colored glasses saying it's just—ultimately, it's just going to work itself out. This team is talented enough. I, I disagree. This team is not talented enough. They can't hit in the clutch. They don't have a left-handed bat that can hit a home run. Uh, you know, that can hit home runs and uh, hit for base hits. Hit, you know, hit for average, I should say. So if it's going to be the short fix— Here's my two solutions. Brian Cashman, you're listening. And Hal Steinbrenner, exceed the luxury tax, go out and do it. Acquire, somehow make a trade for Max Scherzer, Jose Barrios. Those are my top two on the list. Even if you swing and miss on them, I fell in love with. Well, I'll give you the name in a second. I thought of what Tony Kemp did for the A's at Yankee Stadium. I think he had two home runs going into that A's series uh, last weekend. He, A's Yankees series, I should say, in a three-game series, he put up two home runs and four RBIs. He doubled his home run total in two games, back-to-back games. How? Because he's a lefty bat with a short porch. So with that prototype in mind, I fell in love with Saturday afternoon when I was doing my research. Adam Frazier from Pittsburgh. Lefty bat, outfielder. Batting average is fifth highest in the MLB. So he hits for average. He's got four home runs. But you know what? I looked at the spray chart. Guess where they all landed? The short porch. Where the short porch would be at Yankee Stadium. And he had a double and a triple very deep. According to the spray chart, it didn't say exactly how many feet. I think they might have been out at Yankee Stadium. So Jack died total up to six at that point. He He's second in doubles. I mean, there's so much to like about he's in the 98th percentile of of strikeout rate, of K-rate. I mean, is this the the anti-Yankee batter right now that we're looking at? Pull out all the stops to get him. Hal, you're going to like it. He's due $4.3 million this season. He's got one more year of arbitration. And uh, Cashman, go ahead and get out there and get it done if you want to save your job because you, my friend, are on thin ice. And uh, next week... I've got another guest, like I mentioned, booked for my homegrown Olympian segment. Do you guys want to know who it is or do you want to be surprised? The, the poll is up. Get your votes in. We'll come back right after this short break with more of your calls through the 6 a.m. hour here on The Fan. Love the Demi Lovato here. Good job. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to McCartney in the morning here on The Fan, everybody. What's wrong, with me? I love Demi Lovato. Great choice great choice. So I'm looking for some feedback really quickly on my homegrown Olympian segment like I do in my classroom. When I try something new, I like to ask the audience's feedback in that scenario. It's my students. In this scenario, it's you. I just think it's a unique time and it's my first time on the radio during the Olympic Games. So I tried to merge the Olympics with a hometown, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut sort of feel. That's what I came up with. So of course, it helps that the ultimate homegrown athlete kicked it off. A guy that grew up in Tom's River, played baseball at Rutgers, played for the Yankees and the Mets, and is currently in the middle of a stint with the Sussex County Miners. Todd Frazier, I hope you guys enjoyed it. And I checked the poll on the commercial, and guess what? It's a 50-50 split of if you guys want to figure out or find out who next week's guest is. And I guess that makes it my decision, because that's what happens in my classroom. I get... I get decisions in that scenario, and guess what? I'm going to keep you guys in suspense. You can send me your guesses. I'll let you know if you're right, and, and Kevin was closest. Kevin said uh, he guessed Julie Ertz, and then he guessed um, Carly Lloyd. Didn't nail it, but he was close. That's all I'll tell you. 877 <laughs> 337 at Coach McCartan on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Back to the phones. Dave in Bayside we go. You're up on the fan.
17: Hi, Daniel. Um hey. I've got to take a little issue up with uh, Gary Sanchez and uh, Kyle Kagashioka comparison you were making.
0: Okay. Which I'm, one? Uh, about the, the caught stealing percentages?
17: Yeah, because uh, Kyle had 17 people run on him in 27 games, and I think uh, uh, Gary had uh, 20 in 49. Well, games, so see, the
0: see that's games. the thing. It's, it's broken down in percentages, so that's a good cop, like... H- Higashioka's caught stealing percentage is higher than that of Gary Sanchez. They figured yeah, it out. There's
17: more people running on, on Kyle, though, and that's only a tw- in a, tw- a 27 game.
0: Yeah, but percentages but it, is, it, is an equalizer. That's, it's not, I'm not comparing yeah, the numbers. It, 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 I'm comparing yeah, yeah, but percentages.
17: Will, but if, if, if you have more games being played, more people are going to be running on you, and percentages will, will, will go down. You know what I'm saying? So, in, in other words, he's going to have more people stealing on him. Okay, but he already but, had 17 running on him in 27 games.
0: All right, but think about it this way, then. If Gary Sanchez, like you're saying, has gotten more time than Kyle Higashioka, Sanchez has only caught two runners stealing, whereas Higashioka has caught three. So that kind of yeah, counterproves but only, the argument.
1: He,
17: no, because the only 20 people around on him in 49 games.
0: And how many? Okay, and then, how, like, yeah. I see and what you're saying. Ran, I see what you're saying, that there's right. not the, the number of attempts, right?
17: Um, right
0: what i'll say back to you then would be that's fine if you it to-
17: makes your question who do you think has a better arm
0: well see to that's a dif- see, that's a difficult question the better arm is gary sanchez but the way right. he positions himself behind the plate makes him renders him immobile you can't move laterally to get to a ball and and let's compare you want to compare pass balls we can do that too cuz yeah, i haven't no, I, I haven't I'll, looked I'll at give it you that i'll give you that yeah i haven't looked that's at it but so I, cool. but i'm going to guarantee that gary sanchez has more pass balls than kyle gashioka
17: Oh, without a doubt, I, I won't argue that. But That's then, the so then, so then, me. how
0: many runners out. have advanced then on on things like that? Like h- those aren't factored in. as, as... Oh, no,
17: I, I agree with that. But so? then the, the, the well, you got the offense, but the, the as far as calling games, the Yankees have been in the playoffs every year that Gary Sanchez has, has been catching, and including two ALCSs, and he's called the caught the majority of the games, and and you know he's called them. So
0: well, then why did he get Can't benched be, in the playoffs uh, the last time they were there? He, he, didn't, he didn't seem to know that.
17: Well, yeah, why did, why did
0: Kyle Lagasioca get the start over him?
17: How many times did
0: he, did he catch in the playoffs? I don't have a number off the top of my head, but he, remember when he got benched and he went on uh, with ESPN and did that whole interview with Marley Rivera, I guess it was, and, and he, he couldn't understand why yeah, he, he was benched because he, he but stunk.
17: He, but he, still,
0: he batted but he still one court. something.
17: Well, okay, so if you're going to make the point of as his – well.
0: but but listen, if you're going to make the point of his offense makes up for his defense and his inability to catch the ball, then then they're the case in point right there. He got benched in the playoffs. And Kassioka
17: uh, and, 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 and is a better hitter?
0: No, I'm not saying he's a better hitter. Yeah. He's not yeah. a better hitter. And, not and, right and now, and especially.
17: Right now, Gary, right, right now, Gary is – Which is the why you're going to sell base.
0: high on Gary Sanchez.
17: I wouldn't trade him. I wouldn't trade him. Not now. It's because of, you know, there are not many catches like him like that. You got to give him a chance to see if he can get back what he had a couple of years ago.
0: So uh, say okay, the trade deadline is July 30th. So let's say August 4th, he starts the the, the slide again. What happens then?
17: Um, then, then I'm wrong. I'm, then I'm wrong about that. But <laughs> I, I don't think that's gonna. I'm hoping that don't happen.
0: Uh, well, me what, too. What I do hope it
17: happens, and I agree with you on, is Brian Cashman. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, see, but but the thing is, though, and, and Dave, thanks for the call here. Good point. Good points. Valid points. But the, the, the hitting philosophy, the philosophy of these Yankees is built upon home run, strikeout, walk. Right? That's it. We can all agree upon. Everybody can agree upon that, whether you're a Yankee fan or not. Getting rid of Gary Sanchez's bat out of that lineup, selling high on Gary Sanchez, like now or soon, that would almost be addition by subtraction because it would help you diversify the the, the lineup. Because you look at the up and down that lineup. I think Judge is staying long term. I, I, but I don't want, want to buy a jersey for, of him just yet. John Stan, uh, Carlos Stanton is not going anywhere. And then you look at who else is in that You know, Gary Sanchez would be a perfect candidate to get somebody in like a, a DJ LeMayhew type. Trade him for a DJ LeMayhew type at the plate. Sell high on Sanchez. I'm not... Willing, you know we're at the peak of the mountain now, but the valleys are really, really deep to the fa- to the point that he was benched during the playoffs, and and he's Garrett Cole's personal catcher. Uh, 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 Kyle Higashioka is Garrett Cole's personal catcher, and not many people are ma- were making a big deal about it. But I did mention it on here. Corey Kluber, the two or three starts before his his no hitter. Mm-hmm. You know who was his catcher? Higashioka who caught his no-hitter? Higashioka. So, if two out of your pitchers out of your starting rotation, and I know Kluber is hurt, but he's going to be coming back eventually. If two out of your starting pitchers out of your starting pitching rotation, if two of them prefer Higashioka as their catcher over Sanchez, outwardly, what about the other guys in the rotation that don't have as much clout? They don't have a say. Do they really want Sanchez behind the plate? I don't know. How about a a guy who lives in the bottom of the strike zone like Zach Britton? You think he wants Gary Sanchez behind the plate? I'm going to venture to guess no. Jeff, in Fairview, you're up next on The Fan.
18: Hey, Danielle. How are you? I'm
0: great. How are you?
18: I'm doing great. My Mets are in first place, Mm -hmm. but that's because of the pitching. They're carrying this team. Yes. Now they're hitting. Let me tell you who I have confidence in. The only guy right now. Wait, let me make a the guess. The only
0: guy. Let me make a guess. Hold Kevin on. Hold on. Pilar. Oh, come on. You didn't even let me guess.
18: Oh, sorry. <laughs> <A> <laughs> well, you have really
0: got it. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. I was going to say Lindor, actually, but Pilar, yeah. Well,
18: Lindor's had a good good June, mm-hmm. but I'm still not really confident in him right now. McCann, I have no confidence. Conforto, I know he got the game-winning sacrifice flight tonight. Uh, today, I have no confidence. you like McNeil, my dad. No confidence. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I mean, Alonso and Smith, half and half with the confidence. And when they come up to the plate, they're All just right, so not what,
0: hitting. What makes you believe so much in Pilar? Tell me. Because we've done process because of elimination now.
18: Even even his, a lot of his outs are even hard. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he, he don't swing. at really the, the bad pitches like, some, like Lindor does. I mean, you know, he swings up strikes and he hits the ball hard. Even that Atlanta series in the last inning, he lines out the dirt. That goes through. We win that game. Mm-hmm. And then the next game, he lined out the first to uh, a Freeman in that Atlanta series. Uh, I have a lot of confidence in him. I mean, All right. when he gets up there, I really do. And Villar, too. Well, now Villar's hurt right now. I have confidence in him. And even, you know what, also, too? Who? The backup Patrick, the backup catcher.
1: <laughs>
18: yeah, oh I have confidence when he gets up there. But the the core four or six, we have such a good lineup on paper. I, imagine what they start hitting, They're going to run away with the division. But if they, don't, if they continue not to hit, you can't rely on this great pitcher. It's not going to be like this yeah. all year. They're it's going not to going to be sustainable.
0: Yep, yep. And, and that's now, a good warning there, Jeff. Yes.
18: Do have a question for you. Yes. What are you gonna do with Conforto? There's no way he's worth three hundred million. No. Do you do you trade him?
0: No. Um and that's a great question. Or that...
18: do you give him two hundred million? Yeah. I mean
1: Jeff I, mean, could, could, I don't
18: know, man. I know Cohen's had a lot of money. But I, and he's one of my favorite Mets right now, position players, but mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. He's got to start hitting these next too much. If I'm the owner and I'm looking at him all year, Mm -hmm. I know he was hurt a lot with the hamstring. I'm like, because he got off to such a bad start. I'm worried.
0: I'm worried to sign this guy. Yeah, and Jeff, that's that's a valid concern there, and I think that's a a concern uh, that we've already talked about here tonight, earlier, much earlier. What do you do with Conforto? He's not worth $300 million. That's for sure. Um, I wouldn't trade him. I know I know the the thought process is you would get something back for him right but no I wouldn't trade him I would I would try see I think he wants to be a met and I would kind of gamble on that fact um I ultimately what I would do is I would offer him a contract probably I know this is going to be sound crazy but I would probably say 200 million I would offer him 200 Uh, let me do some math here. Let's do 200 divided by what's a seven year deal. What does that come out to 200 divided by seven 28 million annually. That's about right. I I would do probably 200 depending again, how he does the rest of the season, but 200 seven year deal at 200. That's, that's kind of my ceiling there. If another team wants to go ahead and and exceed that, go ahead. But that's kind of my ceiling on Conforto. I would like to see him back in a Mets uniform. I, 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 do like him. He's a great player. I think he's the uh, the union rep for the team. So good for him. Uh, if you saw the post-game interview that he did, he thanked the fans for being there, told them to keep showing up. I mean, he, he says and does all the right things. He's a great Met, but he's not a $300 million Met, that's for sure. And I would be curious to see how much he tries to leverage leverage uh, the Steve Cohen money to, uh, to, to, to try to inflate his price. And that's something that we talked about in this past off season. If you're a Met fan that watch out for the guys that are trying to leverage your new owner, you're the, the richest owner, right? Or second richest owner in all of sports. So, um, I have a special message for one of our own here at the fan coming up right after this. Oh, the killers got a very wide range of musical tastes here. <laughs> um, Hey, listen, so uh, it's the last chance to get aboard. 877-337-6666 is the number. We are. This is our last segment, so this is your last chance. If you can't get through, it's at Coach MCCARTAN on Twitter. We've got a bunch of guests coming uh, guesses c- coming in for our next homegrown Olympic athlete segment for next week. None of them are right so far. So you guys go ahead and keep guessing. One of them is very, 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 very warm Let's just hope that this person makes the team and the guests. No, I'm not going to tell you what it was. You guys look through the Twitter. Uh, So I do have a special message for one of us here at The Fan really quickly, if you guys will allow me to indulge right here really quick. I save this until this hour, until this time, because I know he's listening. But um, this is my last time on the air with with Mark Chernoff as my program director. And I just want to say that you inviting me to your office that day, meeting with me for that long chunk, chunk of time and right over here, right down the hallway now in your office was just, uh, it was just life-changing. So, uh, I, you know, it wasn't until the end of the meeting that I realized that it, it was an interview of sorts and uh, I'll keep the contents of the talk private, obviously, but the feeling that I got was that you believed in me and that you were true to your word and you promised me a, a tryout and you gave me a, a shot to host an hour of Tony Page's show one overnight. Months after our meeting, I was like, "There was no way he was gonna. He's someone of this power of you know this clout is gonna follow up with me. Who am I?" And he did, and um, and you won over a fan uh, in me. So I I got that one hour of Tony Page's show. I was so nervous. I came in in uh, yeah. I guess it was this studio. Oh my god! But you know, just want to say uh, thank you for that. Thank you for. Um, believing in me as well, and I just want to wish you the best of luck, Mark. Turn off on your post WFM plans and, and whatever they may, may whatever they may be. So, good luck, Mark, and best of luck in your in retirement. And I'm sure retirement isn't a good word to categorize. You're going to be up to whatever it is. So, good luck in it. Thank you for the opportunity, and and I'll never forget it. So, thank you. All right, let's go back to the phones 877-337-6666. Mike in West Palm Beach are up next on the fan.
19: Buongiorno, professora.
0: Buona mattina.
19: Grazie, grazie. (laughs) Well, great (laughs) words. You know what? Um, It was meant to be, you had that interview with the GM, you know, and and so glad. Uh, I've I've heard all the compliments from the callers, and you deserve it. Mm -hmm. And i got to say, real quick, that last caller from Jersey, you know, uh, he, he, first of all, is a Jet fan, but he loves Rex Rex Ryan, whatever. How are you going to question Pilar, How are you going to question Pilar and Conforto? But Pilar, you know what? He came that close to dying. And every time he comes to the dish, I look in his eyes, Danielle. I really do. And speaking of GM, you're exactly right. You know, you know the Mets always had the foundation for pitching and defense. Always, mm-hmm. the pinstripers, on the other hand, home run hitters. And you know what? Uh, they're they're uh, like I played poker yesterday a little bit. You know, minimum game. Second best is not going to get you anything. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he's. Uh, I, I question is he going to be the GM for life? You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah,
0: it's like a and Supreme this- Court nominee, isn't it?
19: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and you know, I've always said for years. I know you're closing out on your show, Danielle. Yeah. Uh, the, how are you going to do in the dog days of summer? Any team, the dog days of summer. You know, uh, by the way, I had a conversation with Ralph yesterday. He gives a shout out to you. Hey, Ralph. And, uh, <laughs> he was at the game where I, I played against Tony Gallo, one of the top pitchers of Long Island. We beat him late in the game. Yeah. Why not go after his son, Joey Gallo, from the Texas Rangers? You need a left-handed stick with the, with the right field porch. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's It's such a... Uh, uh, you know, it, it's such a mystery. Like, like Cashman's got this, you know, cerebral uh, attitude. Like, like he can, you know, walk on water and this and that. Come on, man. I, I let's let's get real. Um, and I'll tell you, Danielle, I got today's uh, post, Dad's favorite paper and mine too. Rest his soul. And I got to read the article on closing the barn doors at the Coliseum. Mm. I saw uh, many games with Dr. J and a few Islander games. But I'll tell you what, history. You know, with, with that building. Um, right next to Hofstra, where I saw the green and white jazz practice. But um, all right, Daniel, that meeting with the GM was meant to be. Uh, Where's my drumsticks? That's instant calm is going to get you, you know? Um, uh, All the best, Daniel. And you still got serious mojo behind the microphone.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the call there. Uh, Dave in Mount Olive, we go.
13: Hello, Danielle. You got a future. You got a big future. Well, thank you. Well, I'm gonna say this about the Yankees. I'm, um, I'm predate. Oh, well, I'm predating myself. But watching the Yankees is like watching the gas house gorillas and Bugs Bunny. Hmm. Because the Yankees, all they want to do, is kick the ball over the fence, mm-hmm. and they're forgetting the little things. Mm-hmm. They have no athletes other than Judge. They don't move runners over. Bunning is the allergic, totally allergic to.
0: Completely. And
13: last night was a prime example of how they get beat. The little things that the Red Sox were doing, Mm -hmm. the Yankees never do. Yep. Never. And we keep hearing the same thing over and over with analytics with the Yankees. And I don't want to throw Boone totally under the bus because I know that analytically, that's what the Yankees are, are doing. Yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's
0: not just him. It's the whole thing. It's the whole operation from the whole organization. So, you know.
13: Yeah, absolutely. And um, as a Red Sox fan, I, I got to tell you the truth. I'm enjoying it because hmm. as long as they're thinking this way, uh, I'll be in great shape.
0: Yeah, well, Dave, that is uh, exactly right. And the Yankees, uh, D.J. LeMay had a home run. I mean, home runs are, are exciting, yes, but there's... It's not a home run derby. Last I checked, it's a baseball game, not a home run derby. And the Yankees, we've talked about it here at nauseum, they are just they just can't hit situationally. And that's just the mental approach. The mental approach is just all wrong for that team. I mean, Gleyber Torres is trying to rocket balls to the moon. I mean, maybe Brian Hoke, this is still sticking with me. He said maybe that one season where he was astronomically great, was the outlier in all the data. Maybe that was just, it just happened to be early in his career. Maybe that was the, the outlier of the data. Maybe he's not that player. I don't know. Go to uh, Ali in Riverside, New York. You're up on the fan.
7: Hey, Yo, know,
0: What's up?
20: Since 2011, the Yankees have been out GM by the Rays, mm-hmm. Red Sox. I would even go as far as saying the Cleveland Indians. Um, I think Cashman's time is up. Um, I, I think if Steinbrunner, if George Steinbrunner was still around, they probably would have got rid of Cashman years ago. Four or Three, four, five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, they, they just got to reconstruct the whole entire organization at yes. this point. Uh, they are a good team, but there is they are soulless. Um, I still don't believe in Gary Sanchez. I mean, you made a great point about his, his defense, the way he positions himself, and, you know, it's it's very, it's tough to watch this team and, uh, you know, but the sad thing is they're going to be right, you know, uh, flirting with the playoffs, but I, they're just not built to win a World Series.
0: And we've seen that. How many, uh, they've changed managers and everything. They got right there, and they're still not built to win the World Series. So, what does that tell you? No, uh,
20: well, it, it tells you, you know, that Cashman has full control of the team. Um, I, I mean, I think Boone is, is a good coach. I, I just don't believe in, you know, it, like, I just think he's very soft on the players. Uh, and, and again, it brings me back to Girardi. I mean, you really shouldn't have let this guy go. I know. Uh, I know Boone won 100 games his first two seasons, but I mean, you could have put Jerry Manuel on that on that team as a coach, and he would have won 100 games. Yep. You know, it, it's it's about getting the best out of the players. Yep. And you know, I just hope when it comes to the trade deadline, they just look at themselves and they say, "Listen, let's follow the Red Sox, uh, uh, you know, method on it and just rebuild, even if it takes a tank year." You know. I mean, this team had so much potential the year. They made it to the uh, to the ALCS in Game 7. And, and I mean, you know, you, you you were looking at a dynasty. I mean, what happened?
19: Yeah, What happened?
0: But You know, I, yeah, I, you're doing great things. Thank um, you. Have a good day. Thanks, you too. Yeah, that's a great question. What happened? It, it, the baby bombers, the whole thing, how the wheels fell off of that real quick, right? I'm telling you, Gary Sanchez, sell high on him. Sell high. Because the trough is going to be way deeper than the mountain, the, the high top of the mountain that we're standing on right now with him. Let's go to Bob and Syasta. You're up next on the fan.
21: Sue, Sue Bird territory here, Danielle. How, how are you? Oh, thank you.
0: You know, I I, do, I did ask if Sue Bird wanted to be a part of my Olympian segment, and uh, no dice on Sue Bird. I did try,
21: though. Uh, was she too big to a star? Uh, th- the
0: team said they just couldn't find enough time in her schedule.
21: So uh, I, told, I told my daughter. That I thought I talked to you about it. You brought up Sue Bird and everything. So yeah,
1: yeah. Oh. Gotta
21: get, she's got to go see a game. She wants to see a game. She lives in Portland, so somehow she wants to see a game. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, she'll get there. With with, with you say you used to live there.
0: No, no. I said she'll get there.
21: Oh, she'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By anyway, I agree with the caller before a little bit. I didn't really know what to say, but I wanted to check in and say hi. Um yeah, the Yankees who would they trade? I mean, what prospects do they have? I mean, pretty much they gotta roll out the nine guys that they have. It would be nice to get a center fielder. I think Mason Williams might be a nice pickup just to throw somebody who's a legitimate center fielder who's had a little success and some speed and I don't know who else is out there. I don't think they need to do much because I think it's just gonna be their team this year, win, lose draw, fail, succeed, and then we'll see what happens next year because there's a lot of moves to be made next year. And there's a lot of stars out there like Otani and Guerrero and, and uh, that Tatis guy. And There's just a lot of stars. And the Yankee players are not those stars anymore. Judge is really not the guy. And Void they've got a bunch of good players. I say just let them play. And if they fail, they fail. You know? What do you think?
0: Oh, I don't know. If they fail, they fail. I mean, that's that's so anti-Yankee thinking and line of thought. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I know you're probably adding Severino back from injury. That's like that's like get, getting a player for nothing at the trade deadline sort of idea. No, they got to do something. They can't keep rolling this out there. This this city will burn if they keep rolling that that roster out there. Um, I like a, a guy I suggested would be Adam Frazier. I fell in love with what I saw on his his rap sheet today what I research on him go out and get him he's he's your he's your outfield savior at least for now um we'll see we'll see what happens that's that's my suggestion moving forward though I really liked him really like what I saw from him let's go Lenny in Fort Lauderdale you're up next on the fan
15: hey I'll make it short yes uh, love the show
6: thank you as far as turn up I wish him luck
15: uh, I'm glad he gave you the choice but even though I'm, I'm I'm upset that he put uh, Evan with carton and and i'm going to move on to the mets the manager is just lucky that the that the division is uh,
12: uh, not playing well this year the
15: the rest of the division and he needs to give the team some kind of identity just steal a base a hit and run something they don't have the hitters right now you know everybody's just a in, and he just sits there and he's waiting for a big hit and and
0: and they don't get it
6: and it's I don't I am not a big fan of this manager. That's all
1: well,
0: I gotta say. Yeah, Lenny, you know, I, I I do like him so far. I don't I don't can't think of one I mean, off the top of my head right now, I can't think of one game where he cost them the game. I think the identity of the Mets is strong. The Mets are a dominant pitching team. That is the Mets identity. And as long as that remains uh, you know, intact, they're gonna win games. And yeah, maybe they're in a soft division right now, right now, at the moment, sure. But they also had some players that were out, so let's see a lot of big name players that are even still out. So let's see what the Mets can be once all these players come back. I mean, I think they really can run away with the division. And you know, I I I I don't mind Luis Rojas at manager as of right now. All right, let's go, Sparky and Dobbs Ferry. Sparky, you got about thirty seconds to be our Mariana Rivera of the night. Oh, Sparky, you're up. Okay. Well, first of all,
7: obviously the Yanks need to you know make changes. But this weekend shows the importance of a manager. Cora has the Red Sox playing aggressive, smart baseball. They hit against the shift, and they know how to run the bases. Yes. The Yanks don't know how to do either.
0: And where does that emanate from? The manager, like you just alluded to. Yes.
7: Okay. Then next weekend could be the most interesting weekend of the year, because if they have a bad weekend against the Mets, And DeGrom pitches a dominating game against him. You're going to see people get
1: fired.
0: Well, we we shall see. That will be a pivotal season, Sparky. And thanks uh, a pivotal series, Sparky. Thanks for keeping that short. He's always the Mariano Rivera, the last caller of the night. And thank you to everybody. Sparky, and before, could not have done this without you guys tonight. Love coming here, talking to you guys. If you missed any portion of the show, that Odyssey Rewind feature, select the start of the show, 2 a.m. At 3.40 a.m., I had on Alex Schiffer from The Athletic. NYC, who helped us tie a bow on the net season and glance into the future plans of the team. 440 AM, my inaugural homegrown Olympian segment featuring Mr. New Jersey himself, Todd Frazier. Connor, great job tonight. Connor Green behind the glass did an excellent job. And to Mike McCann on the updates. You guys got Bob Salter coming your way next. In the meantime, Next week, you guys hit my socials at Coach McCartan on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Coach MCCARTAN. Let's keep that conversation going throughout the week, everybody. Enjoy Cole, enjoy Strowman on the mound today.